I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Brittany Lombas. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, put on your Sunday best, kids. We're going to Sears. I think I'll go for a walk outside now. The summer sun's calling my name. I hear you now. I just can't stay inside all day. I gotta get out. Give me some of those rays. Everybody's smiling. Hey, Pete. Hey, Brittany. I don't know why that line killed me so much more this time than it has ever previously. Is it because... A uh, fun fact about Peter, he used to work for Sears. <gasps> oh my god, you're living the dream. I am, I am. I get to watch Brady Bunch and have, and I don't work for Sears anymore. <laughs> oh my god, Sears had this like smell to it that like no other department store had. It was like a mix of like, yeah, you know, vomit and like new clothes and, uh, you know, white diamonds. I thought it was like uh, a mix between like Yovan Musk perfume and uh, a, a dying capitalism. I legitimately believe if that like there was a weird smell <laughs> test where it's like here, here's a and like you have to guess whether like the smell you're smelling out of this person's I don't know magic pouch we'll say <laughs> oh is, no <laughs> is Sears Montgomery Ward Dayton's her I think I'd get it I think I'd get oh, yeah. J C Penney's oh yeah. I, I I think I'd get <laughs> at least eighty percent. You know, I on the website, so I actually didn't go <laughs> oh. in very often. Yeah, uh, Peter, Peter only went in to cause the smell <laughs> to encourage people please. to go online. Yeah. <laughs> get out of this trash, please. <laughs> yeah, his new Abercrombie and Finch and threw up everywhere. And left <laughs> <laughs> just a spritz. Oh. Uh, Yeah, where we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And uh, it's our last week of summer reruns uh, where we are going through the 90s craze of remaking popular 60s and television TV shows as uh, as movies. Uh, and they take some wildly different different attempts and swings at what they're trying to accomplish. But we said at the beginning of this month that we're starting we, uh, with a double feature that uh, is fantastic. And we're ending with a double feature that's fantastic. Both movies where the sequels are a little bit stronger than the first movie, which is something that a lot of people have said about the these movies, which is the Brady Bunch movie and a very Brady sequel for a long time. And it's only this time around... Uh, that I've come around to believing that because uh, I was so in love with the first one for so long that it was only upon this rewatch and watching them back to back. I was like, yeah, they're both pretty great, but I think the sequel's a lot better. Yeah, and, and it is. But I think it's a situation where you need both. I don't think it's some, I don't think the sequel dispenses I, with. I, uh, I agree. It's very hard to make a sequel without that first one. <laughs> they <laughs> lift saying. each other up. I'm just saying the first film in both series kind of sets a baseline that so the second one can go absolutely insane. They're like, you're letting us make another one of these movies. I mean, yeah, like people do like Empire Strikes Back better, but you have to admit it would have made fucking no sense without Star Wars. (laughs) You're like, who are these people? Who's the ghost guy at the beginning? This this is dumb. Um Actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, I think I think Empire Strikes Back would have still worked pretty pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think um, the the way I kind of like looked at this watching these in such close proximity together is that like the first one is really like 
focusing on making fun of or enjoying spending time with the plots of Brady Bunch episodes. And the second one has a lot more fun spending time or making fun of the characters from the Brady Bunch. Uh, and I think that really is why – like there's definitely different enjoyment. So when I was 12, year old, 12, uh, 12 years old and obsessed with uh, the naked gun and anything that was like overt parody, um, I loved. Um, but the very Brady sequel really does a good job of like, hey, we're going to – instead of having these little vignettes and callbacks to the television show – we're going to like have a through line plot that's a little um little less episodic uh and a little more uh insane but we'll we'll my get there is like a little tweak from yours but pretty close which is that like the first one is riffing on the most classic Brady episodes. Yeah. And it's like and it's both like loving and also like very acidic. And then yeah. the sequel is like entirely replicating the insanity of the like jumping the shark style Brady's where they're like do the Brady's need to go to Hawaii and find a cursed idol and meet Vincent Price no but it happened on the show and that's like yeah this the sequel a very Brady sequel is like we're gonna go weirder places with these characters for sure but also like it is referencing the moments when the series was just like we're out of fucking ideas, man. This movie, this show started in 1969. We didn't think it was going to last this long. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. And actually, I was doing a little research because I was trying to decide what was a, you know, uh, what was a plot from the Brady Bunch movies in the sequel. Like in the in the first one, I had watched a lot of Brady Bunch. We'll get into that in a sec. But like almost everything they referenced, even like the 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 uh, the chalkboard in the back of the kitchen that says like pork chops and applesauce like i recognize that from an episode and this one besides like the hawaii stuff which was a big like cliffhanger in the third season there was a lot of plot stuff like that i didn't realize was actually taken from <laughs> the show itself like i didn't know the george glass thing was an episode where Jen makes up a boyfriend <laughs> named George Glass and then lies to everyone about it. Like, that killed me. That probably the hardest I've ever laughed at a, at an IMDb connections page that, like, somewhere along the way, they're like, yeah, I don't know. What if Jan lies about a boyfriend because she's so sad? Uh, that's good for our family show. Uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, we are joined by a first-time guest, Peter. I think it's our first first time guest in a year because we've been we've been over, during COVID times having a fun round robin of uh, a bunch of our favorites, uh, but not but he, but she's kind of a new guest, new favorite all, even, a new favorite even. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but, but also someone that we we've heard many times talk about movies, and that is Brittany from the Swamp Flicks podcast. Brittany, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. Um, I guess like it makes sense that you guys have like listened to me talk before, but now I'm like, oh my god, does my voice sound stupid? Like, <laughs> it is very it, it's we've never recorded yeah. together, but we both, Aaron and I, have both been on Swamp Flicks, which I can only assume right. that Brandon is jealously guarding us from you. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it almost feel like it feels like he like released me in a weird way. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's still on the the Facebook chat he's... where we're talking through all this stuff. He hasn't said anything in a week, but he is just like he's there still. Like we didn't yeah. have a separate chat 
He's standing back, but he oh my god! Like, Before you know it, you guys are gonna like take James too. Like, oh yeah, we should get just James <laughs> take every swamp <laughs> flicks right now. All the swamp flicks babies, you're gonna steal them all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked about that in the green room uh, before in the pre-show banter that uh, we invited Brandon on our show almost immediately in its first five months. And Brandon waited literally years to invite us on. <laughs> he claims it's because he didn't understand how Skype and recording remotely worked for many years. But it se- it still seems slightly suspicious, um, especially given that only now is he releasing his uh, his uh, uh, his bench of, of movie sluggers <laughs> out to free agency. He's would just you like consider yourself a slugger. Um, I, I would. I was thinking more like swamp trash. I mean, <laughs> just little swamp, swamp trash. trash on the bench. We're mixing mm-hmm. metaphors here. Yeah, everything. Um, but yeah, I am super stoked to be here. I've listened to um a good bit of you guys' episodes, and yeah, I think um. My favorite, which I know is like a fan favorite, and it's not just because Brandon was on it, but the Xanadu episode was. That's it. Not only is it a fan favorite, it's one of our top three listened to episodes of all time. Uh, like Br- don't, Brandon, myself, and Peter have had this conversation that we don't think it's a particularly good episode because um, none of us were really that enthused about the movie. So we had this weird thing where no one was angry about it. But no one was passionate about it. But we talked for two hours, and it just is like, oh, yeah, that was that was content that we made. It is in our top, like it is number three on our most listened to episode of all time, and it, it is just it's bizarre to me. Um, it once again shows Peter and I find this all the time when we release episodes, and we go, "This one's going to be super popular," and then it's something like that we thought was going to be a no one's gonna listen to that ends up taking off in a given month oh like our just silent that- horror month did better than our mad max month yeah <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> what do you people want yeah stuff like our our episode of 1990s uh remake of night of the living dead a movie most people haven't seen and no one really likes is like our most listened episode of 2020 <laughs> like i i who knows how anything you just works. you never know and that's why yeah. just just always do like whatever your heart wants you to do yeah uh britney but uh so why don't you besides the swamp flex connection why don't you tell which sounds like the worst dating site of all time no offense. <laughs> um find your love at the swamp flex connection like don't even tip me i will like literally i don't even know how to make a website uh peter you can help me with like all your sears knowledge and i will make like a, like just a site for like trashy movie people to meet trashy movie people and it's the swamp flicks connection we you know a for a while yeah you know right for a while the <laughs> onion had personnels and they were like legitimate and it was kind of weird like they just all of a sudden had a link that said personal <laughs> like, okay like it's like in the mid aughts or whatever uh, i think swamp flicks website should all of a sudden just have a personal <gasps> oh my god <laughs> Yeah, like, don't announce it. Don't make a thing about it. Just as you're scrolling through, <laughs> like, oh, I can read this movie reviewer. Oh, and like, we can swamp flicks connect. We can link the movie reviews to people, like, <laughs> yeah. like, hey, like, I think the last thing Brandon reviewed was like that new Mortal Kombat movie. We can link that to like, you know, just like a a bodybuilding woman 
who's Hell looking yeah. for love. <laughs> I don't know. You, Someone who works in a meat freezer and is used to sub-zero temperatures. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, a man with one arm who really likes to punch shit. My god, I'm just gonna marry all of them. <laughs> Straight up. Um, uh, yeah, but, but this uh, is just a personal project uh, <laughs> to find you a, a, a realm of husbands. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, there's there's a few that I think meet your very tough criteria. Uh, to to make it on the Swamp Flicks connection. That man's never set foot in a swamp or a holler. <laughs> Get him out of here. No hollers! <laughs> so the reason that you're on this episode, though, is because... Uh, <laughs> sounded like a, like a weird thing I was about to accuse you of. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, had, we had given uh, Brandon some options to, to record, and he saw the Brady Bunch movies on them. And he's like, you know who would really, really love to come on your show and talk about the Brady Bunch movies is Brittany. So, Brittany, why did he immediately know how much you wanted to come and talk about the Brady Bunch movies? I think because I talk about them a lot. <laughs> um, and, like, every time, like, we're trying to figure out, like, what, like, hey, what do you want to talk about for, like, the next episode? Because we kind of, like, take turns, like, figuring out, like, what topics we're going to cover. And yeah. I just always kind of like try to weasel in like a a you know movie or set of movies i'm obsessed with and i'm like let's find a way to do the brady bunch one the, you know and i just like talk about it a lot in general i quote it a lot um it's just like ingrained in me <laughs> so um i that's probably why he thought of that also like those are like the kind of movies that i like like anytime there's like a Britney episode on Swamp Flicks. It's not like the cool art house <laughs> episodes or like, <laughs> you know, anything like that. It's like, um, you know, just good trash, like uh, the Brady Bunch movies. So that's probably why. But yeah, I I love the Brady Bunch movies. Um, and I also like, like the Brady Bunch a lot. Like, you yeah. know, the OGs. Um, grew up watching them on TV land. I am really into the Brady Bunch um, hour. I don't know. If okay. Oh, God. I mean, I've, I've seen it on like, I love the 70s. Oh, my God. The Brady Bunch hour. It's insane. The variety show. It's a variety show that's also blended <laughs> with like the Brady's. Like it flips back and forth. Like, I think like they leave the suburbs and like buy a beach house and they like go to the beach house and then when the wait a second i thought they were never gonna sell oh they sold they sold out like when the scene transitions it's like them doing like you know razzle dazzle or like a musical number um it's so ugh, it like it's em it's so embarrassing that it feels good to watch you know <laughs> it's um it's beautiful pain beautiful pain and then like these Brady Bunch movies that popped up in the 90s, like, they somehow capture that essence that I loved from, like, the, the original Brady's, but they make it into this, like, campy masterpiece, and it's just, like, this is, like, my kind of movie. So, yeah. or movies, because there's, there's yeah. two. Yeah. I feel like this, I, I, I that's great, because I feel like this is, uh, this is, these are movies that, like, <laughs> a middling reaction to doesn't really work um you it either clicks with you the like <clears throat> this like manic vibe either clicks with you or it absolutely does not and it like we've we've covered 
uh, two movies this month that tried to replicate sort of um, 60s, you know, up to, like a 60s family sitcom, but in this weird setting. Like the Beverly Hillbillies is like, it's a family sitcom, but they're hillbillies in a rich, uh, you know, a rich part of LA. Um, they're, uh, the Flintstones is like, it's just Which a normal part? American family, but... They are sort of dealing with 1960s problems, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the wife is, has a has a dinner party to plan and the husband, he's, his boss is giving him the giving him the, the shit at work. Uh, just like very classic sort of um, heteronormative 1960s mid-century kind of uh, baby boomer shit. Um, but it's like very charmingly corny um, because it's not prescriptive about like the best ways to live your life even when it is just like less in tv because it's easy to just place it in this nice corny <laughs> this like corny mid-century modern style box and be like oh this was like a, a, a cutesy idyllic version of what a 60s family was like and i watched it as well um i watched it as a TV Land or Nick at Night, one of the two, um, whatever it would have been, it would have been like, uh, I can't sleep and I'm <laughs> 11 and I'm going to watch this show until I fall asleep or something really horrible like Beverly Hillbillies comes on. Um, <laughs> and I remember being weirdly selective when I was a kid about like what trash I would fall asleep to it. And this was like, oh, Awesome. Brady Bunch. You know what's so like tranquil, like about that? I don't know. I, I'm. I feel like I'm there. Like I'm 11. I'm falling asleep mm -hmm. and it's on. And you know that sound, like whenever like the Brady Bunch starts, where it's like, like the yes. yeah, yeah. I I mean, right I, before it goes into the dun 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that just oof. It gives you a little music to I my have, ears. I've talked about this before. Um watching a movie you haven't watched since you were a kid it like has this i guess the best way to describe it for me at least is like an echo effect where you hear a sound effect and that it, it seems like that like sound effect like echoes off like the insides of your head you're like oh i remember this oh my god like, yes it, it resonates with your, yeah. your bones yeah. in a weird way yeah it's um, like, you know, whenever, I don't know, like, when, what is when people do acid and they stretch their backs or something and it cracks and yeah. a little bit comes out? That's kind of what it does. Like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you're, the Brady in your bones just kind of <laughs> releases. Yeah, today we're releasing all of our Brady bones. Um, Aaron, you watched the show as a kid. Or I did, yeah. I watched, um, I watched a lot of it. So, I didn't have cable, so I didn't get the Nick and Knight TV land thing but the like you know i had specific blocks of tv i was allowed to watch um and so like one of those was like after school time so after school when i first got home from school there was two disney afternoon shows on like basically throughout all elementary school like ducktales would go away and then like fucking goof troop would start being in that block but it was it was they would have those disney afternoon shows throughout elementary school and then and that was like from the 3 to 4 p.m block and then from 4 to 5 for my younger like first through third grade they had rotating um 70s shows for the most part right rerun syndication stuff like that so it was like usually brady bunch and partridge family and i really didn't care for the partridge family 
Um, I watched it when just for the sake of watching something on TV. But I always liked the Brady Bunch. And then eventually uh, the syndication must have realized people weren't watching the Partridge Family. So they started showing an hour of Brady Bunch, like from four to five. And then that didn't last for – so I, I watched that almost every day after school. I imagine I watched the vast majority of the episodes uh, more than once. Um, and then eventually like much like – Nick at Night and TV Land and TV Land did. Uh, they eventually like uh, moved out of the '70s sitcoms and like it would be like Growing Pains and stuff like that. When I was like in fourth and fifth grade and stuff like that, like those '80s sitcoms that were now uh, <clears throat> that were now uh, wrapped up on television and getting into syndication packages. So uh, I did watch quite a lot of the Brady Bunch and I really liked it. It was one of those things that like you know coming from a household that was generally selective on what we watched, it was an easy sell. Like, Brady's are a great family, blah, blah, blah. Like, good lessons, good kid stuff, good funny things. And uh, so I really liked it. This this movie came out in 1995 when I was 12. And uh, I still remember it really well because I, uh, there, I saw a preview for TV, for it on TV, and it was rated PG-13. And my parents there was a misprint in the newspaper that's how much i remember about this that said it was pg in the local like bismarck north dakota tribune and i insisted that it was rated pg-13 and they're like aaron I still, <laughs> aaron why would they make a brady bunch movie <laughs> pg-13 like it's obviously for like they just were like, and I'm like, no, it's PG-13. Like, I was I was pretty insistent. And they were pretty selective. Again, strict family. So, they were very selective on what PG-13 movies I got to go see at that time. And so, they their bet with me is that if I was right, I could go see it. And if I was wrong, I uh, I don't – it wasn't like a punishment that I wouldn't get to see it. But it was like something I would have to do. Uh, and I was right. And I got to go see it. And I saw it with my mom and dad. And they both died throughout the entire <laughs> like i did too i was like the whole theater i it's one of those like really set in my head memorable movie experiences where the whole theater was dying at every little thing and you know i was laughing because i liked the way that they were taking something i loved and updating it for my 12 year old sensibilities while having a little bit of danger and like 90s coolness in there of stuff that now seems just as retro and kitschy as as the 70s but you know i'm a kid in 1995 so the grunge stuff was like cool shit that i liked i liked seeing them interact with and stuff like that uh but like the whole theater was dying and then i um i i remember it was like i don't know must have been like the summer after sixth grade where like i just uh where i could ride bike to theaters and stuff like that with friends and i probably then took convinced a bunch of my friends to go because i probably saw it three or four times in theaters and just howled and died the entire time and i i just absolutely loved it and then the sequel came out and for some reason i didn't see it in theaters uh and then rented it on video uh whenever it came out probably a year after it was in theaters and just remember thinking it like i wanted more of those like parody vignettes um and uh, where about like all the show stuff i remembered and i remember thinking that it just wasn't as funny uh and then uh but but as i i like this is not a, the, neither of these movies have been that long of revisits i probably watched them most recently like three or four years ago whenever i bought them like digital copies of them and upgraded my dvds 
Um, so I, I came to enjoy a very Brady sequel and it wasn't until this rewatch that I finally came around to like, oh yeah, very Brady sequel is, is the better movie <laughs> than, than Brady much, even though I still love both of them, uh, quite a bit. And I remembered nothing about them. And I almost certainly didn't remember how much very Brady sequel is focused on incest, um, stuff I wouldn't have noticed when I was eight years old. I just remember thinking it was so funny because I'm like, huh, they're brother and sister and they're making out. And like now it just feels <laughs> weird. And it's you not as it feels funny. <laughs> like I know we're jumping just so far ahead. But what makes it weird is that the very Brady sequel posits that none of them knew they weren't actual siblings. <laughs> Even though there's a whole theme song that explains it to the audience every week. <laughs> Yeah, but right? they're like, not saying they the did song. know. They're just on display. They're the just so <laughs> they're so pure that <laughs> like, they just never thought that that could be a, a thing. Like the the age range is quite vast between like <laughs> Bobby and Greg. So uh, the idea that like they never knew that they had different parents and thought they were blood relatives is actually way more disturbing. That then they're like, like, I could see, there's like, you know, there's, it's this, the clueless incest thing where it's like, okay, well, you guys met when you were 12 or 13. Like, it's weird. But like, the idea that they thought that they were blood relatives and then like someone goes, oh, actually, you're not related. And they're like, oh, I kind of want to fuck her. Like, that is more, that's very disturbing. I love how there's like incest levels in movies. Like, are, is it like Brady Bunch incest or is it clueless incest? Like, <laughs> you can measure it. I would say they're lowercase clueless incest in this as well. Not uppercase C clueless incest. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, it, it, it's an odd, I, I don't know if that's a, I mean, it has to kind of be a joke that they didn't realize that they weren't blood relatives, but it's not played for laughs. It's like a throwaway when they're like, um, I guess you're not my real sister. And then like, then the jokes come. So it's, it's very, <laughs> it's a very perplexing choice that I'm not, but definitely hangs, hangs itself over. It's a little bit like uh, the Arrested Development thing, which is played for like gross incest laughs, right? Like when they thought they were twin siblings and then suddenly they find out they're not related and Portia de Rossi's character on Arrested Development, it, it tries to fuck Michael immediately. And he's like, are you – you're still my sister. Like – and like because the the sick joke in that is that like the you, – you're – you know, obviously that there was incestual thoughts, right? Because if you thought you were siblings for 35 years and then suddenly that veil is removed and your first thought is I should fuck that person. Like the thing that was keeping you from having attraction is – is uh is just the formality and the laws and like society as opposed to just like most people that have are healthy are not attracted to their blood relatives um and uh this movie does but does the arrested development thing but not played for like really underlying how gross it is like that Arrested Development knows what it's doing. It's weirdly not judgmental. Does. It's weirdly like it's weirdly like almost more transgressive because it's not as judgmental. Because you're rooting for them in a way, like you're like, yeah. oh my god, like are they gonna make out? Ooh, <laughs> no other, they no are perfect for each other. They are, and like, and like movies have no. programmed us to be like, yeah, the hot 
you know, well, okay, like 18-year-old couple. They're really like 20-something at this point. But uh, the hot 18-year-old <laughs> couple should hook up. That's The movie's a program that, that do our brain. So, like, some part of your brain is like, like, oh, they finally kissed. And then you've completely just, like, now that's that's how you end up on the front page of Pornhub. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, they kissed. Oh, why is my dick in my hand? Oh, no. <laughs> Did I go into an incest it's like coma? It's, you're right. It's, it's really more disturbing than Arrested Development making a sick joke out of it because at least Arrested Development is like um, – Knows what it's doing. And this it is, movie it feels reinforcing like reinforcing the quite. idea that you shouldn't the, – the dangerous idea that you shouldn't have sex with your siblings. Um. Yeah, it is. Here's his cousin's Dangero or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, this this movie actually warped my brain so much though that like because I was doing that I was like I want to go and look up what you know here's what I think are references to specific episodes of the television show. I was fucking convinced that there was an episode of the Brady Bunch where they started to get a little crush on each other or something, and there's there's not that is. It, but, like, there's this weird energy between, like, Marsha and Greg, like, on the TV show that felt kind of sexy. Especially, like, as he was, like, getting a little older and doing, like, the Johnny Bravo thing. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I felt I mean, they that. have sex in real life at some point. Oh, like I'm, Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I like. I think it's in her, uh, 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 the 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 original Marsha Brady. I'm forgetting her name. Ma- Maureen McCormick. But, like she had this autobiography of like she unfortunately was one of the many like 70s child stars that did the like. It was like behind I, the Brady I or something. Fucked up auditions because I was so coked out of my mind and I was 19 and stuff like that. Like, uh, uh, thankfully she has definitely like had a. a, a a turnaround and has written a lot about it and so like that but i i think her and uh and greg were like actually having sex for a long time oh my god so i i think i mean and they were probably they're, they're, turned on by the this fact that it's like oh my god we played brother and sister yeah what does it say that jennifer carpenter and michael c hall and dexter were married for a bunch of years and they played brother and sister on the show and i i don't remember if they eventually made that into a thing on the show because lord knows i didn't fucking watch that show to the yeah, end I didn't, I didn't watch that to the end but, but uh there's, there's, I think, there's did, like but they met on the show, right? What? Like that's that's weird. Say what? I think they met on the show, right? Yeah, yeah. So they Ooh. met as brother and sister. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, so it's a uh, but like <laughs> I think that um, the thing about both the movies is they're not uh, doing some sort of outlandish um, disaster movie. Uh, superhero movie scary movie style like wouldn't it be crazy if these two made out it's like no what they're pulling from is like actual like uh you know i guess it's confirmed via the biography versus you know like fan theories that people would have like oh did you hear those two those two had sex even though they're playing um you know brother and sister in the show like ew and then like also like that has to be I, i haven't seen the show in you know 20 something years but um, it has to be displayed. So it, sexual tension has to be displayed at some point because it's, the show was on for what six years? I think five years. But yeah, I mean, I was they were I all was hormonal at, at a certain point, right? They were all oh like, yeah, they, were, they yeah. were all at some point like between the ages of like fifteen and twenty two. Yeah, I mean, I was I was convinced that. Um, that there was an episode. There is an episode where they fight over a room in an attic. Yes. I remember but that like, one because she has, like, the the mattress with her 
or something. Yeah, but I, I conflated it to like. I'm like, this is based on an episode where they're changing in front of me. Oh wait, no way. <laughs> What's uh? I was gonna say is it's a uh, it's also a riff on uh, flowers in the attic. Oh yeah, sure. Because they're literally no, I I get it in but the I mean, attic. <gasps> and do you think? Oh my think god, that was intentional. Yeah, absolutely. Flowers in the attic was a very famous because like, it's the '70s and it's flower power. Could you imagine like the Brady's do flowers in the attic and Alice is like the mean grandma? <laughs> yeah, like the parents go away for a little bit and then Alice is like, you have to stay up there together. And I'm gonna wash the sin off of you. Like she gets crazy. Because you do know that, you know, Alice is already and, crazy. Well, and B. Davis went like yeah. full on Episcopalian and like dedicated her life to that. And then she died alone. <laughs> So oh, no. she changed her name to Schultz. drove truck <laughs> all the way to Texas. She died in Texas in her like Episcopalian universe. Yeah, after she dated, uh, she dated Jim Neighbor. She never took another lover. No, no once you had Jim. <laughs> you, I'm referencing something that Britney sent us in the chat. Yeah, maybe not. It's <laughs> it's like uh, this poster I found of like a production of Camelot. <laughs> With both of them, and <laughs> it's like uh, mutton and chicken, twelve ninety five, and it's like at some kind of play. I can't think, remember the name of like the venue, but it's like where we tr- we can our own tarpon. It's <laughs> it's so great. That's it's so good. Jim Neighbors is making a fucking he's making a Jim Neighbors face. A Jim Neighbors face, and she is making like an Andy Day. It's like so. It's iconic, if anything. Yeah, <laughs> she had a she had a the like um the little bit of that crazy energy, like the, the like, woo flower <laughs> flowers in the attic almost. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my god, yes. it's not actually flipping these formulas on their head or something because that would be uh i don't know um kind of boring it actually is just taking shit that people liked about the original series presenting it in a 90s context and then maybe exaggerating taking it to the next logical step right like yeah if there's sexual tension on screen between these characters and also they had to like you know share an attic space in an episode like yeah there's gonna be a weird sexual tension between them and also their step siblings which is like a weird cultural thing that for some reason we're still sorting out whether or not your step siblings or your actual siblings we sorted out your actually siblings um man that sounded like uh the new jan brady's voice <laughs> yes great oh uh, okay, i would never be that judgmental Who's that <laughs> it's me no but yeah there is something to be said about like that like because like yeah like on like Pornhub and all these like porn sites like I feel like 90% of it is, like, incest. Uh, yeah. You think that Brady Bunch is mostly responsible. And the Brady Bunch <laughs> is responsible. I do, I do I'm glad. Look, I'm glad you said it first, but I'm in full agreement that Brady Bunch is <laughs> specifically responsible. That's where it started, because it's like, you know, you grow up with it, I guess, and you're like, well, that's kind of cool. And It was normalized. It, it exploded. One of my... One of my- <laughs> I think I've I've referenced this on the show before, because, probably the Clueless episode. But one of my favorite Grace Spellman tweets is uh, uh, "Spotlight, but for why incest porn is so big right now." <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it is like uh, it is something that like 
I have talked to, to you know, friends about before. Counselors. Uh, and every time, <laughs> and, and I've heard this, this isn't something I do, but I've heard this many times. People will say, oh, well, I just click on the video like it's a normal video, but you just skip the first 20% you or whatever. You skip the, you skip all the like, oh, I just hope my, I just hope dad doesn't come home. Like all of that shit. Like you just skip on it. Like, guys, you're making the problem. You're clicking on the video. They don't care. <laughs> and the thing is ironically watching it right and they're like oh people like it they can't measure a skip they have no idea they just assume you're skipping past the talkie talkie they're like well i'm not gonna search on the site that probably goes right to the nsa i gotta click on whatever's the front page <laughs> so i can claim it's an accident that my do- cat did one day the cat doesn't know how to spell no incest porn please someone suggested uh, the way to beat this is to actually make like a Pornhub account and then never click on those videos because then they actually can like gather cookies from you that you don't want that. And if enough of us do that, eventually they stop making movies like that. <laughs> Peter brings this up every episode. It's his Amway pitch. He tries to get you he to just wants a Pornhub member. <laughs> I'm about solutions. He just wants everyone to make a Pornhub account. Solutions based policy. Okay. I'm here to solve problems. If they could somehow tap into your TV and see if you're watching like the Brady Bunch movies, <laughs> then they could throw it all off. They would hit the they would hit the big red button that says one million more incest porns. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that's so interesting about this this movie, especially the the first one, is that like you know uh, we'll talk about this in more detail when we get into the movie, but like. It really frames like the '90s as this hard edge world that the the uh, you know there's carjackings and there's like, <laughs> adult video stores and stuff like that and it's so fucking mm-hmm. goddamn fun like I know like, they're doing like everyone's cursing comedy. and flipping each other off and everyone's yeah and- angry and smoking. <laughs> And, like, the key there is is that they're doing, like, 70s sitcom family meets 90s reality or something like that, right? But, like, it's so funny to, like, know anything about history and go, yes, the famously peaceful, unturbulent late 60s, early 70s. (laughs) 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 Where crime was low. No one... uh, But, you know, that actually speaks to, like, the area that I do think, like, has... Uh, like these, sh- like Brady Bunch is fine. Like it's not. Uh, it would be something that like I could easily probably watch with my kids and be, uh, you know, enjoy to some degree. But it is weird the way that like uh, boomer culture and conservatives have really been like, oh, that's what it was like in the seventies. Like <laughs> this is what families used to be like. They they really have like taken their memory of sitcoms they used to watch. Uh, WandaVision style and projected it on reality and then they go out and they see a carjacking or whatever the fuck else and they're like miss those Brady's miss those Brady days or the leave it to beaver days and stuff like that and it was just like uh, that was something like I didn't get right when I watched this when I was 12 like my image of the 70s when I saw this in the theaters was that it was probably actually like the Brady's as opposed to like actually like the 70s which in a lot of ways uh were way more turbulent violent and you know dangerous and um you know it's coming off like the 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 horniest decade 
that we're aware of, right? The 60s. Classic horny decade. Um, <laughs> I always rank them. I try to rank... <laughs> 1930s is the oh least. Oh my god. The 1380s? People were pumping Oh no, in you can't... Out. No, I've only got... Oh, I only do 1900s. Oh, okay. oh for the horny decades. Mm. I go 60s, 80s, 70s. Those are like top three. Mm. <laughs> 80s was mostly because of the cocaine. It, yeah, oh, Nobody yeah, wanted definitely. to have sex. Cocaine, cocaine and also it, it had the... All that the new wave horniest. music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, new wave music. Ne- I mean, neon makes a lot of people. Oh, yeah. For it sure. the lighting, you got the big hair, everyone, sm- everyone constantly <laughs> smells like they're like paint fumes anyways. People are always walking around with that, that glaze over their eyes. Super horny deck. <laughs> Um, and 60s. what makes what makes me most horny is thinking about Ronald Reagan and the presidency. You know, yeah, well, you know, Tr- ooh, trickle yeah, down just... economics. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you guys mind if we take a little break? Nineties <laughs> <laughs> were like one of the least horny because that's when you could just get your horniness served online. Finally, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of a least sexy, a least sexy run of presidents than. Reagan to George H.W. Bush. Oh, God. I mean, probably like um, Coolidge to Wilson? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to Hoover? Like, I've never thought of like a sexy president. Yeah. Well, then we've had we've had sex, sex presidents before. I don't know if they've been sexy, though. No. I mean, Obama, when he had that khaki suit. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you're like, you're summer, you're fit, you're fun. I can't, I can't wait to go like just look at a list of all the presidents and do like fuck marry kill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last thing I'll say, I think, before we go into the movies proper, is that like <laughs> I, I didn't realize classic transition where we just ignore something someone said and then move on. <laughs> um, uh, the <laughs> um, I didn't realize until I went to go buy these movies on DVD in like two thousand one, two thousand two. That they're like the Brady's kept going. Like I didn't know about the Brady Bunch hour because they never showed that in syndication. Um, and again, I, I wasn't informed until Michael Ian Black in between the state and Stella told me about it. I love the seventies, <laughs> whatever the fuck, you know. Like and then, but they kept going. There was like the Brady sisters shows where they all get married and live in a house together. Yes, three, three dudes um, while they pine for their sibling god it was so hot um and then like yeah there was a couple tv movies like a brady christmas and stuff like that too Uh like and the reason i found out about that is because like when i went to buy the brady bunch movies on dvd they had released like a brady bunch christmas like a tv movie and i was like what the fuck is this like this kept going into the 80s so real quick like yeah. whenever you were um like oh hey Brittany, we're doing like a brady bunch movie episode i immediately thought of the 90s movies and then i had like an anxiety spiral moment where i'm like oh my god were they talking about a very brady christmas too because i didn't watch it <laughs> <laughs> no uh no i've never seen it and i was gonna i was gonna track down i didn't know that they made a sequel to these two movies mm-hmm. oh no i had no idea until i i did some googling and i was like hmm they switched to a male director. It's ruined. Huge, huge mistake. It's garbage. Um, also, they recast all the kids, obviously, because uh, these movies took place, you know, or were made 95, 96. The Brady Bunch in the White House, which is a direct sequel starring Gary Cole and Shelley Long, 
um, where I read the plot. Um, it, it went to TV. The plot is that through uh, a series of events, <laughs> Mike Brady is elected president. And Carol Brady is elected vice president and they have to learn to live in the White House. And I'm like, I am interested in what the series of events that led to that happening in remember this came out in 2002 in a post 9-11 world um but I, every rating of it was a half star to a star on Letterboxd and I'm like you have Gary Cole and Shelley Long like how can you screw this up and they royally screwed it up it was so boring like so boring People already consider these movies kind of cash-ins. Like, I don't know if their rep is super strong across the board. Adam's Family Values rep has definitely grown over the years. God, I'm yeah. How the Brady Bunch rep has grown or not? Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, the Brady Bunch got good review. Like, they were well-reviewed movies. Uh, very Brady sequels, like, a little bit less so, but the it first is way one weirder. <laughs> it, it did get good reviews um but like the the you know the the rep of the other ones is so strong that i feel like it's really easy to bury whatever the unfortunate third third entry is um especially when it's like basically a made for tv movie this is such a pattern like so, so uh, the last episode i did with swamp flicks we the theme was like what is a sequel that is better than the first movie um I probably should have picked Brady Bunch, um, <laughs> but I picked or Adam's Family Values or Adam's Family Values. Too, You're yeah. so right. I picked Problem Child too. That intrigues me though because I haven't seen the prob- Problems Child. Oh my god, it will change your life forever. Like Problem Child two is like if John Waters directed a kids movie. It's so gross. <laughs> um, but the thing is, they I made Michael Richards. Uh, the first one, I think. That's why the sequel's automatically better. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's but that the same thing happened with that series. Like you have two like really good movies, and they make a crappy third. And they did that with Home Alone as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you have these really really good. You know, you know, part one, part two, whatever, and then they make like a third film that's crap. It is weird that it's only been in the last like ten to fifteen years of movie going. That, like, studios thought, should we protect these much-loved franchises, <laughs> like, quality-wise? Like, like it really was, like, the, you know, that Marvel and some of these other things that were kind of like, hey, instead of just running these to the ground and trying to make as much money as possible, like, should we try to preserve, like, have a bigger idea, do a bigger picture and stuff like that? Because that's what, like all sequels were like for, from the 30s sequels like when they were making like i don't know frankenstein meets uh <laughs> or something and also <laughs> abbott and costello are, are there and yeah you know like to even like the 90s like you know bat the batman series or other it was just like let's just fucking burn these out until we finally start losing money budgets would get cut and now sequels are like twice and triple the budget and they get bigger name directors in there like it, it's just it is like that has its own level of frustration and homogeneity but it is weird that it, it, it's a very recent phenomenon where people are like should we i don't know 
do anything to protect these 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 well-known characters because <laughs> they used to just cut the budget every single sequel and they used yeah. to run it into the ground like they're like okay they just followed the like a very classic sort of economic model they're like all right we're gonna peak and if the next movie even though this is on a downturn if the next movie makes above the this line cutting across the peak um then we're okay um but we need to you know pay this director that just made us a very successful mid-budget movie we need to pay them 30 percent less and we need the budget to be 30 or 60 percent less and then yeah you get these things where it's like yeah like the home loan series or whatever where it's like basically all it's doing is hoping that a confused parent picks it up in the video (laughs) store (laughs) (laughs) yes um and then they have a pissed off kid at home that's like this isn't the one mom (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and it was yeah it was was, did you should be just basic math like we can probably wring some money off of this but like no one tried too hard like we have day jobs um but yeah i i don't know what the the carol gary cole shelly long (laughs) brady's look like in a in a post 9-11 world um Clearly, Brittany does, but uh, it'll be a mystery to the rest of us. We did talk briefly about, we were like, why did Shelley Long come back for this movie? And then you look at what Shelley Long was up to in around 2002, and you're like, I know why Shelley Long did this movie. Yeah, Shelley Long could be a whole episode of just like someone who I really like, who just had, uh, you know, did the... Did the who's the David Caruso, right? Did the David Caruso thing like I'm going to leave my successful TV show where I'm a big star and become a movie star. And it just, you know, just didn't work. Don't I guess don't appear in True Beverly Hills slash Jade. Um, Did y'all realize that the director for the first Brady Bunch movie um, that we're going to talk about was Velma Plunder from True Beverly Hills? Yeah, I did. Actually, yes. Yeah, that's wild was insane and i i was so happy yeah she is a good she's a good track record hold on i'm pulling up the page uh betty thomas is the director of the first movies uh the first movie and um the uh, was insane is she directed private parts which i think really makes sense when paired with brady bunch Um, (laughs) which is a movie that i really really like like as a good uh biopic of someone existing but also recognize that the person that they're biopicking sucks but yeah but she she did two family comedies uh dr doolittle and alvin and the chipmunks the squeakle she helped give birth to a 10 or 15 year long meme i mean that's that's pretty good <laughs> calling things the squeakle um and then, uh, yeah, she had, like, some modest success. Like, John Tucker Must Die was a modest success. And, and both of the family movies I just named made a lot of money. The Dr. Doolittle and the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies made a lot of money. Yeah, well, with that, let's talk about movies that also made some money. Not not squeakle-worthy. <laughs> <laughs> a decent amount. Let's talk about uh, the Brady Bunch movie and a very Brady sequel. Here's the story.
You are alternate. Taglines. <sighs> so, Brittany, this is something that I hate no, about the show. don't explain it. Pretend she listens to the show. I, I hate <laughs> on the show, and for some reason we just keep doing it, even though it's 50% my show. Um, <laughs> but it's 51% my show. <laughs> 50% mine, 51% yours. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Math doesn't have to work. You just have to call more ownership. <laughs> is it just me or is Gary Cole kind of hot? Oh, he's he's hotter no, he's- as like Mike Brady than any other character I've seen him play. Something yeah, about it. Also, I this is not so much true of the second movie, but I want most of his suits in the first movie. There's a vibe. <laughs> There's a vibe. And also like mid-century modern furniture has been back for like ten oh, years. Why can't oh, yeah. mid century modern clothing come back, you know? Why the There is a house is on for. my block that live that l- from the outside looks a lot like the Brady house. And um I really want to go in there. Does the curtain match the drapes? In this case, meaning does the interior set match the <laughs> exterior and that it slightly reminds me of... Is there orange for house? mica countertops? Yeah. Like, please. <laughs> so I don't live in, like, I don't live in the part of Southern California that, like, you know, this era is, is really tapping into. Like, it was a different sort of, uh, a different sort of, like, uh, I guess, a architectural craze took over parts of San Diego. But if you go to, like, really rich parts of La Jolla, you'll see these, like, really cute mid-century modern houses like up on these hilltops and like yeah i I always think of the brady bunch whenever i'm driving by because they're just like these pristine cute little boxes interesting yeah i mean i I don't see that many houses anymore like that you go to it that has like the sunken in living room (laughs) like i feel like the den look is so cool though i wish we still made those i like recently went to like an estate sale um in this like suburb town in new like of new orleans and it was like those old like ranch brady bunch style houses and i was obsessed there was like a flower bed in the living room cool yeah that that is awesome i mean i would live in this house i I love maybe it's just i mean i got i get a lot of nostalgia you know pings as i as i watch it but i also think like it's super roomy i like the way the kitchen has its own area (laughs) you're inspired Yeah, I would, I would, I would totally, uh, I would totally live in that house. And then also, you mentioned the den, which is such a, it's so interesting because, like, when you think of like a study or a den or an office or whatever else, like that is like it's all built around the computer that we all do our office den business related stuff. Uh, and like, it's, this is just a den that's a room with a desk because there's there's no computers. Yeah, yeah, it it is just a big. A big, beautiful, modern open space in the house. All right. Do you have an equally long tagline for the second movie or no? Um, I, I feel like that kind of covers both. <laughs> um, Retur- yeah, Return of Cousin Oliver. That is my favorite part of both movies is that Tiger and Cousin Oliver are they like build a weird like sci-fi creepy in joke into the fact that Tiger and Cousin Oliver would disappear and reappear in this in the original series. Mm-hmm. That's like my favorite part of both movies, I think, because you're like, that was really them grasping this is fucking weird high, 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 high concept by the horns. Yeah, and they both die and everyone shrugs. No, yeah, no one cares. 
No. Oh, yeah, they got hit by the car. Yeah, they both run out. My memory may be a little off here, but actually, Tiger appears and, and disappears. Cousin Oliver was a season five ad that like was like, we're running out of... Was he? Was it one episode? I, I thought it was in part of a, the final season as they were trying to like... Um, yeah, the problem maybe. is like, you know, after, after five years, Bobby and Cindy... Uh, are not cute kids anymore. They're also going through puberty. So now you just have these adults. <laughs> and then, like, bring in that. And- Cousin Oliver looked like a mini John Denver. <laughs> uh, he did. He Which did. is he so terrifying. That, like, that, like, and this movie posits he suffered a similar fate. <laughs> oh, no. God. That's also something that's, like, weirdly fan service because if I recall correctly, like, fans of the show hate Cousin Oliver because he's, like, marking yeah. the decline of the show. <laughs> He is like a he's like a jump the shark like line like oh you're bringing cousin Oliver on the show like there there's enough of that like cultural cachet that like getting a cousin Oliver on the show has like is like getting a poochie or something like that something to spice up your show that's whereas the twins on Full House don't have similar ire at all like people were very excited that the twins could come back on Fuller House and I guess they're like hot seventeen year olds now I don't know what the fuck the fuck they were trying to do. I see. You mean Jesse and Becky's twins? Oh, I thought you were talking about the old. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, well, they were there from the beginning. No No one was pissed. What's what's this fucking baby doing in the show? I like because Michelle was not a twin on the show, except for when they did creepy like uh, internal monologue or like uh, Halloween episodes or some shit. They did like weird special episodes where she had like a ghost twin, but like she was no, she she fell off a horse and lost her memory, and then the Michelle that had all the memory came back and talked to her about it. So th- those are like, that's what they did. Yeah. Not a ghost. Wait, is that real? I was not a big Full House person, so. I mistakenly introduced my uh, my oldest when she was like five. And, and I've seen now every episode in the last couple years, uh, eight to ten times each. So I'm an expert. And also we have a, we have an episode about full house weirdly on this podcast really there the one big thing i remember from full house is when stephanie like made a bed in her bathtub and i was very inspired and i did the same thing how did it feel how did she ride it was like really cozy it was kind of like live it was like a pot i don't know it felt like you were just in this big hug I can see yeah, that. because DJ was too old to live with Stephanie. It was, yeah, something and, like that. And then, and then Michelle didn't want Stephanie to come into her, like, baby room. So Stephanie was like, I guess I don't have a room. And she decided she was going to live in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, she lived in the Which is a very Jan, speaking of the Brady Bunch, very middle child situation. Middle child yeah. syndrome. Middle child situation. So, yeah, the Brady Bunch movie uh, starts out, it gives a... Uh, you know, just a, a generic grunge song that's still kind of catchy as it as it kind of tours uh California in the nineties. You know, carjacking, porn shops, cappuccinos, <laughs> cappuccinos. It's my favorite arrest development joke when it goes. It's called a cup of kino, and wait till you hear what it costs. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Michael McKean's on his car phone talking about they're going to sell, they're going to sell, but this family's kind of weird. It's going to take some time. And then it's a hard cut to the theme song with our new cast that uh, generally does a fantastic job. Although, I mean, I don't think I'm I'm saying I'm wowing anyone by saying that Marsha looks so much like Marsha that I assumed it was the same person playing her when I first saw this in 19. Mm-hmm. No, like perfect. Perf- like chef's kiss. 
Like, it's it's insane that basically a clone was born over <laughs> 20 years later of Maureen McCormick. Uh, but, uh, so, they we introduce the Bradys, and the whole movie is essentially, uh, everyone has their own plot. They're not really all that well connected, and their plot is basically riffing off a plot from the Brady Bunch show. So, Marsha has to choose between uh, two guys that she is really interested to go to prom. She also, uh, other things happen to her, too, that are you know, Brady Bunch has. She gets hit by a football and hurts her nose. That happened on the Brady Bunch. You have Jan, who is in her Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Feels like as a middle child, she doesn't have any identity and that the entire family is mean to her, uh, which was kind of true on the show. And these movies are like, uh, to Peter's earlier point, really turn the dial on that, where everybody legitimately is mean to her uh, constantly <laughs> in a very funny way. I do think that Jan is the standout of both of these uh, movies. And again, speaking of uh, people I was confused with, I assume this was Anna Ferris for a long time because they, the, uh, the <laughs> actress, they look alike. I can see it. I they give off that scary same when, voice and energy, Yeah, too. when Scary Movie came out, like, it, it didn't take me that long to figure out they were different, but when Scary Movie came out, I'm like, oh, cool, the person who played Jan in the Brady Bunch movies is in another movie. So, uh, Bobby is a, Bobby and Cindy really kind of get short shrift in this one, but uh, Cindy's thing is that she has a lisp and is cute, and uh, they call her the, one of the best jokes is Michael McKean calling her, getting get out of here, bad seed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, very wrote a pin mark. You get back to the Swiss Miss package you came from? Yeah. I hadn't seen the bad seed. I just saw that last October, finally, so uh, really at home, but Cindy seemed to be taken directly from the film The Bad Seed. And I don't think speech impediments are funny, but the neighbor kid saying See you on the thief is really funny because she has like she has clearly like honed her burns on Cindy, like in the in the yeah. lab. It's like the, you hate laughing with at the- a bully's joke, but <laughs> It's so good. That, like, is not like that's a speech impediment. Lots of kids have speech impediments. Like, it's not fair. Yeah. But I did start crying laughing when it happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bobby's a, a junior det- or safety monitor, so he's just going around trying to be safety. Monitor. SM baby so, narc. Yeah, he's a little narc. Peter is going. Uh, is, is has voice crack about to go through puberty, um, and has a crush on a girl in in the class. Now talk about the Peter in the movie. (laughs) Uh, Uh, And then Greg uh, is trying to be the cool guy at school and wants to be Johnny Bravo, uh, a a musical person, but of course is only singing the worst kind of uh, Puff the Magic Dragon. Clowns never laughed before. (laughs) Beanstalks never grew. Like, not stuff that would have been hit in the 70s, either. No. They have their kind of plots, and then uh, the main plot that ties it all together is Carol and Mike Brady didn't pay their taxes somewhere along the line. The classic classic movie plot of what if people are taking their house away? Like, let's just do that. Michael McKean is excited about that because he's trying to get the Brady to sell the other classic 90s sitcom plot of, like, we got to make mini malls and you'll make a fortune. But the Bradys are uh, pretty adamant to to not sell, but then they have to figure out a way to raise the money. So first, Mike tries to sell. He works as an architect. He tries to sell his designs to different things. The joke in this movie is that all of his designs are just the Brady Bunch house uh, with different signs. But I'm like, I, I think his boss should just fire him just on like, 
not that his designs for commercial property is based on residential property, but he's like doing no work. Right? Like, he just is, like, taking off the gas station sign of the model and then putting a burger sign. Uh, it's super lazy. But eventually, a gym decides to buy his design. They've saved the day. Meanwhile, there's a dance, uh, and Marsha um, has a date with the hunk, cancels a date with the other guy, only to find out the hunk wants to do things like touch her shoulder and also nefarious things. But uh, And Brady's don't do that. So, um, on her way back, she is she's the president of the Davy Jones fan club. <laughs> Davy Jones sings at her dance. Uh, that's actually going to be important to the climax, weirdly enough. I guess Davy Jones not only didn't leave the town, but had the rest of the surviving monkeys come, <laughs> come and move there with him. Um, he's like, I like this. People seem to be excited at my singing. Um, so Jan, though, uh, so there's this there's this contest after they uh, Michael McKean kind of sabotages the the attempt to to get the twenty thousand dollars from advance from selling this architecture firm. So they're running out of options. They're like, we're gonna have to we're gonna lose the house but we're always going to be brady's blah 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 jan uh, has this has had this idea of this twenty thousand young star contest that they could all enter and everyone kind of poo-poos jan's ideas and then the night before they move out marcia suggests it and everyone goes great idea marcia jan gets so angry she runs away um and then she uh she runs into alice from the original <laughs> series uh who plays Schultz. there's a lot of cameos in this movie um and they uh, they bring her back. Everyone apologizes to Jan. They love her. <laughs> Let's go do your idea. So they go sing and they, you know, it's all these other grunge bands and stuff like this. And they sing their, their song, not written by Johnny Bravo because Greg couldn't succeed as Johnny Bravo, but finally just written by Greg Brady. Uh, no one claps, basically. <laughs> but they win because the judges are, like I said, all of the monkeys somehow. Um and uh and they go back they save the house peter gets the girl uh marcia learns a little something greg has people chasing him now because he won the talent contest even though no one liked it um there's also a subplot that's actually really i quite sweet i think in certain parts of marcia's friend noreen um who is a, a, a lesbian that obviously marcia and everyone else because the 70s didn't recognize uh queer people um has a has a crush on her and uh but but like Marsha is oblivious hurts her feelings but like she ends up fine it's actually like i actually like the way generally everyone is except michael mckean is that everyone is generally sweet at the end of the movie um in a good place like it has jokes about the oblivious of the brady's and like the time clash between um the 70s and the 90s from like a pop culture depiction but like rarely feels mean even though there is a little bit of like the uh you know i don't know we, we can get there but anyway so they save the house they're brady's they they win and again the whole thing is they're going through these plots is the the thing that just is the the backbone of the movie is you know bobby being a safety monitor at a time when like everyone is like he everyone is stuck in their 70s bubble 70s sitcom bubble and interacting with a world who thinks they're a bunch of weirdos uh but still end up like uh making out okay and uh no one has called the police on them enough i think but beyond <laughs> that because they're clearly in a weird uh as we learned in the second movie sex cult but <laughs> 
but yeah so i mean it's 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 again it's not a plot heavy movie the plot is fairly simple it just is like everything is right like all the little moments where it's hitting the plots making fun of the plots and stuff like that um but it, it does it with a general sweetness that i find endearing um i i don't know like i I'm not, and it, it does it like in under 90 minutes too. So like it, it feels, it feels super like brief and doesn't wear out its welcome. I don't know. It's, a, it's very funny. Yeah. It's, I love how it's such like a, it's not a raunchy movie and I have nothing against raunchy movies. I love no. them, but it like, it's, it keeps that like wholesome Brady bunch vibe makes it funny without making fun of it it's like you're laughing with them in a way and not at them yeah marcia's not a loser for turning down a sex creep for wanting to sex creep on her yeah. right right it's just kind of like amazing how um out of touch she is and like the fact that she's not she doesn't seem to be having the same conversation everyone else is happening right like she's she's not having a conversation about quote-unquote being a slut or quote-unquote fitting in um she's having a conversation about like her extremely 20 years dated sort of standards which it involves like if he wants to put her arm around her she's like I just don't go for that sort of thing. Right. She's yeah, like, that's third, that's base. third base. And yeah. I don't go that far. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's the same thing with even like that. It's not like a, I, I don't feel like it's played for jokes that like, um, oh, look at her friend being all gay. But it's like, obviously, Marsha lives in a world where literally that stuff wasn't allowed on network television. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I frame it in the idea that these these characters are, are again, not playing what it was like in the 70s, but literally, like, they haven't exported the 70s into the 90s. What they've done is exported 70s television characters. Right. Who, like, legitimately don't know swear words. It's, in some ways, like, it is like a, a WandaVision or a good place. Like, they are limited by the reality that they've lived in. And so, like, it's not like it's funny that Noreen is a lesbian. It's, it's funny that, of course, Marsha could not be aware of something that literally legally did exist in her world right like, like they're oblivious know. to like reality yeah because reality was so censored for them right <laughs> the, the hokiness the corniness blah blah blah. like it's it's fun to laugh at but like ultimately they're like a pretty functional family and like uh the you know the parents have a like sexual relationship and seem super happy um <laughs> Like they they seem to have like an understanding of one another, and they get excited in each yeah. other's they get excited in each other's triumphs and like all that. Like even though Mike is kind of like a hokey dork, she seems to love that he's a hokey dork. Like and and yeah. she knows he is. Like she she makes like the Mike face. Yeah, no. at, at, like it is it is like it, it's a movie that like starts off just making fun of uh, sixty stereotypes, making fun of the original show in a way. Um, and this, it, it, but like by the end, it's like found a weird, um, synchronicity where like, uh, there were a lot of commonalities between sixties and nineties culture. And like, there were a lot of commonalities between, 
um, you know, uh, the feminism of the 60s and then like growing into the feminism that grew out of the 90s and like rejecting certain social norms. And like there were commonalities in how um, <laughs> in, in like how we embraced weirdness um, as opposed to conformity. Like the 90s were the 90s were like an era that like uh, very much were about like finding your own way to be your rebel, which is like what the 60s were ostensibly about. I don't think they actually were, but they were ostensibly about. Um, so it's, it's it, like the flower child thing is like very much in line with like uh, Blind Melon and other like 60s, uh, sorry, 90s bands that were trying to like riff off of Counting Crows, uh, trying to riff off of like 60s uh, hippie band culture. And this is like, oh, yeah, well, if you can like repackage that a little bit, right? Like you're singing hippie songs but with like a grungy rough guitar in the background, like you're still singing hippie messages of love and peace, but like you're speaking uh, in a dialect or an accent that like kids of the nineties could understand. It's like a very clever sort of like, um, it's a very clever sort of subversion of like what you expect when the movie starts and when it ends. And it's especially in contrast, like I wasn't happy to watch Beverly Hillbillies, but like it's especially interesting in contrast with like, Beverly Hillbillies and the Flintstones seem to have absolute fuck nothing to say about the cultures that it it came from versus the culture it landed in. So yeah, P yeah. Peter, like everything you just talked about really pulls through in that moment at the school dance where Davy yeah. Jones is like singing his hit with the grunge in the background and it's like it comes together and like everyone falls in love with it oh, and it yeah like that yeah, whole thing that's, that's mirrored by the dancing right like yes marsha's doing this weird you know that like her thumbs being pushed to each side yeah. like a wave it's whatever that is yeah, it's, a, it's a marcia brady dance like the kind you would have on a sitcom to be distinct um and pretty soon, like, it's not that the whole gym is doing it in the same way that she is, uh, but the whole gym is, like, moving in the same way she is. So, like, they're, they're you know, they're moving in a uh, – there was actually, like, there's, like, three people right behind her that I really, like, keyed in on um, this time where, like, they are doing a 90s version that's a little more hip and a little more, like, smooth of what Marsha's doing. And I and – I, I think that's such a like a perfect way to like to to kind of show like oh this isn't like uh like to your point Brittany it's not Davy Jones plays the monkeys he plays girl over a grunge band it's not that Marsha Brady makes everyone do this weird Marsha Brady dance they then pivot and make it their 90s version of what Marsha's doing absolutely absolutely it's it's so uh it's it, it's it's a it's just a really clever way. I said it was a clever subversion. Like it's it's a, it is like a clever way to like not totally shit on fans of the original, um, and then come up with something kind of like wholesome and sweet towards the end of the movie that like um, fits in with a sort of like peace and love. What can't we all get along? Style like very non non-confrontational messaging of the original show like the original show was like hey maybe you shouldn't make everything about yourself hey maybe you shouldn't tattle on people 
Um, because when you tattle, you tell your tattle to the. And then you're the tattletale. The only thing you're telling on is that you were a tattletale. So yeah. aren't you really telling on? I can't do that fucking tongue twister. The best thing about all of his lessons is they're all essentially rephrasings of the same lesson. Like, every single one is like, you know, if you call someone this, aren't you really just calling them? He's like, it's all that. <laughs> Where it's like, you're, this is what you're saying. This is why you doing X or thinking X actually ch- changes you in some way that's bad, and isn't this other version bad? Like, God, I think what a confusing such a man! Perfect template. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, but what? I, but what the movie does too is like, but while you're getting reeled into like all these moments, where you're like, whoa! Like, look at this connection. It brings you back into the comedy of it, like. Like, at the end, whenever, you know, Jan's found by, you know, Christmas Carol, um, yeah. you know, she Florence Henderson makes her big cameo, and then everything's sweet, and then she has this demonic voice that's like, cut yeah. Jan, cut the crap. Jan. You know? Um, so, I love how the movie does that. Like, before it gets too sweet and sappy, it kind of, like, reminds you that it's it's all like you know hey we're having fun here (laughs) i always love the trope and like so many like great shows do this thing where if you're on the air long enough you do like almost a hey in our world what if it was a sitcom right like i think (laughs) buffy has an episode like that where it's like they do the same thing but they sit sitcom afi it or whatever else and i really like like all the different ways that that interacts that is just like a area that's just ripe for comedy of how sitcom tropes interact with the reality of the world. And one of my favorite scenes of that, which I think definitely skirts the line between potentially like offensive in a few different ways, but I think works if you really look at it through that prism is when Jan goes to the guidance counselor, which again, you're in high school. The idea that I feel left out because I'm a middle child is not what she's hearing about in this, you know, in this, in this, in RuPaul, the guidance counselor is hearing about, but Also that like when she describes her sitcom problem, which is voices in her head are telling her um, things and, you know, specifically against the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Why does Marsha get to do this? Why? Like we heard that on the the 70s television show and it it seems so banal. It's your inner monologue and stuff like that. But she kind of describes it as voices are telling me what to do and how I should feel and stuff like that. And, you know, the guidance counselor is that she's immediately like – Oh, okay. Well, you know, paranoid schizophrenia is a you know problem sometimes among middle childs and stuff like that. And she's like, no, it's like just fun voices. But it's it's that it's that contrast of like the real world thing, or sorry, the the sitcom thing, which is voices, not your own inner monologue, but voices disconnected from you entering into the real world. Which is if you're hearing voices that aren't your inner monologue and seem to be coming from an outside source. You need you need to seek some medical help. Uh, and I love that. I always love when it's like these things that we take for granted in this environment put within the lens of this environment and you, you it kind of strips away the artifice and you're like, oh yeah, that is that is that is the right way to look at it outside of the context of like the the three walls of a sitcom house. I just feel like that guidance counselor scene is just so iconic with Miss Cummings. Yeah. Um, growing up, so, um, my cousin and I used to rent this movie a lot at our local Deborah's Movie World, um, video rental place on the bayou, and we would reenact that scene where, like, 
um, he was always Mrs. Cummings and I was always Jan. And he would like wrap himself up in like a flat sheet and I would like walk in a room and he'd be like, what brings you in today? Depression? Suicidal tendencies? Like... (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and it's like here's a copy of my book and my tapes um but yeah it's like it's funny and sweet <laughs> at yeah, the same time it and it feels so weird i love it yeah the fact that rupaul is a huge part of both of these movies is incredibly funny to me because like oh yeah it's both extremely 90s, but also it's like comforting ballast because RuPaul was super relevant in the early 90s because of dance hits. Yeah. Like, I, I think people forget that RuPaul uh, was like... Yeah, I had her album. And a talk show. Yeah, yeah. Had her, oh, also, by the way, um, you said her album. I had to Google this. Apparently, RuPaul just doesn't care what her pronouns are, which is also fucking great. Or yeah, I thought, I, thought it was, I thought it was any of Yeah, I Googled this because I was like... We're going to talk about RuPaul. I want to make sure I get it right. <laughs> and RuPaul, uh, uh, he was like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Whatever you want to call me, it's fine. <laughs> uh, sort of like outside outside the realm of like modern conversation. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, the point is that I love it because like RuPaul is both simultaneously like she had like a huge career because of the dance album. RuPaul came back in the past seven years. When did RuPaul's Drag Race kick in? Maybe longer? In between, she was a fracking. Well, she did like icon. star booty and stuff. <laughs> yeah. The fracking thing. Or the fracking. In a weird way, RuPaul is uh, in in their own problematic way as relevant as ever um and so like it was weirdly comforting to see rupaul in this because like jaja when jaja gabor shows up i was like that's a 90s ass reference (laughs) and rosie o'donnell (laughs) like yeah like who cares um and then like rupaul is in this and then like michael mckean is still super relevant like he's like a he's he he, like was on better call Saul a few years ago oh Jean Smart is Komikin's wife in this. Yeah. Um, oh, she's an uncomfortable character that did not very age well. Character, but Jean Smart is like her career is like booming right now. She is she has a new HBO show coming out called Hacks, where she plays like an uh like an aging. Oh, I think she's supposed yeah. to be like a Joan Rivers. <gasps> oh my god. Like, uh, you know, like an aging comedian who has like a Vegas residency and she needs to hire like a younger comedian to like stay relevant. Well, that's it. Um, I love her. I I was a big designing. I am a big designing women yeah. uh, fan. So that's good. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. So like Jean, and Jean Smart was in the Watchmen show, the Watchmen sequel show, which was amazing. So like um, she's she's had like a career resurgence her character in this is simultaneously very funny and i think you said it right Brittany. very uncomfortable yeah like she's funny like that scene where like cindy comes over with their mail and she's like hey cindy like the drunk fun neighbor that like has you know bloody mary's for breakfast but then when she starts getting weird with like peter and greg <laughs> she's like come help me make a sandwich yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's also just like walking through a crowded 
high school gymnasium sitting on everyone is very odd. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like a joke. It's like a joke that's like uh I think like conceptually very funny, like up against the Brady's. This idea of this like sultry hot mom is like very like drunk sultry hot mom is like very funny. Um and yeah, the idea is the anti they're the anti Brady. Yeah, oh yeah. She's constantly trying to cheat on her husband. Like that is kind of funny, but the fact that her target is not just Mike Brady, her target is literally any man over the age of fifteen is like <laughs> Well, there's not even a scene there's not even a scene with it. Like she talks about Mike Brady. And wrapping his package. But there's not a there's not a scene of her and Mike Brady. So yeah. all of her mm-hmm. all of her uh uh behavior is directed at two it's with children two children yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah lady i need you to need you to redirect in many many ways right so knowing that we're already going incredibly long we have a whole other movie to talk about i have two quick things and uh and then if you guys have any quick things let's do it and then let's go to a very brady sequel so uh i just i i one thing I, I love in movies is completely unflappable characters who are uh losers <laughs> Um, like, oh yeah, that's always a source of comedy for me. And Greg's just complete resilience to everybody around him, uh, and then never, never changing course, never, never modifying, not taking thing. a hint. <laughs> Not digging it. I love that like, in the sequel he goes from flower child to like early seventies, like you know, post, <laughs> like post Manson hippie, like a little darker, but still. Yeah, worth noting too that uh, we did the Beverly Hillbillies last week. Uh, they both premiered within a year of each other, and uh, Beverly Hillbillies went on for another seven years. Which is fucking this. crazy. And it's the worst show of all time. Um, Based on the one episode I've seen. Uh, but I didn't care for it. Uh, so, yeah, I love how unflappable he is. I mean, there is a lot of, like, uh, the Onion article of, like, uh, you know, romantic comedy behavior gets real-life man arrested stuff there. But, like, just the fact that he's, like, unflappable bothering people is just, you're a groovy chick. And then that's it. Makes it very innocent and silly as opposed to, like, uh, problematic. Right. Like, he's not as, like, predatory as yeah. he could have probably gone. So I think yeah, that yeah. was cool how they kept that. He's thing. just, he's very unwelcome. Yeah, he's just an obnoxious, like, little pest of a Yeah, he's a pest. A guy. Yeah. yeah. But it's, a, it's, but he's not a sex pest, right? Like, no. He's not, like, he's not, like, constantly touching her or whatever. Like, he's, he's, it's more yeah. that he's just, like, he's a, chi- he's, he has a very childlike, naive view where he's, like, if I do this one thing, I'm gonna impress this groovy chick enough that she's gonna, you know, go steady with me. Like, it's, it, it's like he's trying to adapt it's like all he's seen is the original Brady Bunch show. Yeah. <laughs> and they were all lab freaks that were made, modeled after the original Brady Bunch show. And uh, you said, Aaron, you love un- unflappable nerds. Like, this is Brigsby Bear shit. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. but it's almost like they, they, they were like only if, uh, if, if uh, the lead character of uh, Brigsby Bear was only allowed to watch a show about himself, <laughs> but idealized. Yeah. Yeah, I also love that he. Um, the I finally discovered the more annoying thing than like someone who constantly is bringing his acoustic guitar around. Oh. Someone who's constantly playing his unplugged electric guitar. <laughs> yeah, that's a very very funny joke. That's time. Uh, and timeless. the other thing that I uh, we'll talk about this a little bit in very very sequel too. But the, I mentioned 
how much I wanted to buy the soundtrack uh, off, not when we start recording this episode, but before, uh, mainly for a few songs. But like all of the Brady specific music is so goddamn good. Like I get why that variety show, the all these songs are taken from their variety show. Uh, for this movie and the other one as well. Um, I can see why that variety show was so unpopular because, like, there's rarely a t- – like, if I go for a walk around my neighborhood, and this has happened for dec- like a, a decade plus, if not longer, the first thing that pops into my head is I think, you know, I start singing to myself, I think I'll go for a walk outside. <laughs> <laughs> like, it is that ubiquitous in my, like – my own uh, personal soundtrack that it just starts playing in my head if I'm going to go take a walk outside. And, uh, you know, even like I was a, I was a big Monkees fan as well. I, you know, I had the cassette tapes when I was like six or seven or eight and I watched the reruns on, uh, I think, uh, you know, whatever show. TV whatever Land. We yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nickelodeon, I think. Or, yeah, Nick at Night. Too, yeah. yeah. Um, and like the the grunge version of Girl works like actually really well as a song. So like, good. Um it's, it's really good. Um a little heavier music with that same like, you know, great Davy Jones uh voice and and um emphasis and everything else. So uh I I just I really do love the music, not in an ironic way. No, like same, like I've like I was telling y'all before we started recording, like I've just been like listening hardcore like all week because it's like there's the big three for me is like, you know, of course, like Sunshine Day um, and then Keep On and, um, you know, Good Time Music or just like these three big old Brady hits that I can yeah. listen to and not get tired of it because it just makes you happy and it's catchy and it's yeah. feel good music. While I like find the music very charming, and I'm like totally with Aaron. Like I, I just random Brady songs will pop in my head, even though I haven't seen these movies in 22 years. The these songs, like this particular era of like family friendly pop music that was trying to pull off the the 60s vibe. <clears throat> it, it, it's funny because like the Beach Boys and the Mamas and the Papas would be, like, edgy to this style of music, right? Like, you can't really compare it to, like, a lot of the music from the 60s that's, like, survived well. Like, even the Carpenters had a darker edge at times. Um, So, like, it's, it's like, a very specific uh, kind of, like, the power pop of its era. Just, like, nothing but positive energy blasting forth super crisp production. It's it's catchy in a way that like is maddening, and I think that's perfect for um, it's perfect for this movie because like the, <laughs> by by sheer force of will the Bradys become charming to you even though when the movie starts you're like oh my god these <laughs> these fucking dorks um, like they by the end of the movie you're incredibly charmed by like their their weirdly functional dynamic um, yeah despite the fact that the movie I don't think is preaching. That, uh, you know, a return to it's not an, a Reaganite no. return to wholesome values thing. It's actually um, it's actually more of like an acceptance of weirdos thing. It's actually more of like a, hey, if you have like Mormon kids in your school, please be nice to Mormon kids. They make jokes in this movie. Basically, Michael McKean makes a joke. He's like, beautiful property in Utah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, love you it there. are essentially Mormon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Even at the end of the movie, when they have all their other neighbors, including Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, who are talking to them, 
Uh, it's not like they go, we should be more like the Bradys, but even they, you know, they're, and they're the sensible neighbors, right? They're not the evil. They don't, they're just like, you know, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you know, the Bradys are right. This is a good neighborhood for our kids to grow up in. Like we, that's what we should be looking for. Why do we need to move and get money and get somewhere better? And then he's like, immediately like, and also we're going to sue the fuck out of Mr. Dittmeyer. You know, so so we'll also get the money that we're looking for. Well. I love that one of the things Mike Brady quotes is that one of their neighbors walks around in the nude at 10. <laughs> I know. All those little, like, the, the funny part about doing any movie where you're like, the joke is how innocent it is. Anytime any sort of, like, lewdness is introduced to it, it is always funny. Like, we know that she walks around naked every day. Oh. Doesn't doesn't feel as creepy coming from Mr. Brady. Uh, anything else from the first movie before we jump into the second? Um, just a quick mention that um, Alice, um, as the truck driver, really reminded me of like Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, yeah, like whew, if she had a sister, that would be her. <laughs> she has the biggest part in this movie, and I also think like like watching it. I mean, I think she – it's hard to gauge, but I would say, like, she she probably has the largest part because she's, like, a good actress. She, carry, she carried that show. I yeah. 100%. She's the funniest one. You always, yeah. like you, – you know, when she would walk on set, you'd be like – you know, you'd have, like, the wee because, you know, everyone wants Alice. Everyone loves Alice. Yeah, go ask Alice. Everyone loves her. Um, so the, uh, the sequel, what's interesting, as long as we met, so there, there are a few cameos, uh, Barry Williams, Christopher Knight, uh, Florence Henderson as their grandmother. Uh, interestingly enough, Florence Henderson appeared on the daytime talk show, the Rosie O'Donnell show when the sequel came out to say how much she hated the sequel. Weird. What? uh, She thought she, yep. She thought it was, the first one was fun. Uh, and it had turned to to mean and cruel. And then here's – so there's a lot of layers to this. First one, she went on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I don't know if Florence Henderson knew this, but Rosie O'Donnell's in the sequel, <laughs> which is a weird place to do it. The other thing that makes it odd is that there was more that came out afterwards where she did another interview saying that she – uh, repeated the same thing and then said that also we got to do cameos in the first one and the new director wouldn't let us do cameos. So it <laughs> and there isn't any cameos in the sequel, which um, I think actually speaks to like what type of movie the sequel is trying to be. So the very quick plot run down on that is it, it's it's not necessarily doing the same thing where we're going to have all these little like moments from the series and characters from the series play out. We're going to take these things from the series and we're going to mix it through like a, a real plot that everything kind of pivots around. Um, and so that plot is, again, one of the unanswered. Or, and it also says we want to take it down, take these characters down some paths that were alluded to in the series, but never gone through. So like the, the big plot driver in this movie is that Carol's husband, who is never mentioned in the original series, besides just, you know, he existed likely at one point. Uh, interestingly enough, Mike Brady's husband, I found out, didn't, uh, or sorry, Mike Brady's uh, wife was mentioned in the pilot as being alluded to that she had died, but no mention of Carol's husband at any point in the series, living, dead, what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a, 
they are the horse that we've seen in on so many of the episodes of the TV uh, series in their in their living room to dining room <laughs> by their stairs. I don't know what you call that area that it's in. Foyer. Foyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, it. It's actually a rare antique that's worth $20 million, and they have it because uh, Tim Matheson's character killed Roy, uh, or let him die in a boat, or we, we we actually do find out what happens. Yeah, ooh, it's a, it's a big old twist. Roy finally makes his way back. Well, he's not Roy, he's Tim Matheson, who is his assistant, Trevor, pretends to be Roy, and says, hey, I'm Carol's husband, I'm, I'm back, because he wants to get this horse that he knows that roy shipped to carol at some point so that's like the driving force of the plot now it starts out very funny in that uh carol is like there's a great scene of like because it's not roy you would assume that she would know what her ex-husband looked sounded <laughs> like <laughs> a great thing of like uh trevor as roy figures out very quickly what kind of family or maybe he knew it from the real roy what kind of family the brady's are and and realizes that he is going to be able to manipulate their goodwill and these rules they have about how they treat people in their home and what vows they make and stuff like that into essentially even uh, having them kind of almost buy into obvious lies and not so great stuff. So uh, Carol's like, you don't look like him. And he has this tale of surgery. You don't sound like him. Yeah, he got stepped on by an elephant or some shit. And then he was like stretched. Yeah, you're much taller than him. (laughs) Like increasingly incredulous. And he has an answer. And they're like, and of course they buy it because in their world, people don't lie. That's what it's a lesson kids need to learn, not grown adults with a, with a big plan. So anyways, the plot is kicked into motion with a few different things uh, that all kind of come together near the end. But essentially, he's trying to get this horse. That horse got spilled on because Jen was walking while everyone else was playing ball. With like a big tumbler of grape juice. I, know. <laughs> I love how convoluted and contrived it is because that is how accidents happen in sitcoms, right? Like, it's not just like... I spilled some shit. It needs to be this, like, climactic <laughs> action sequence. Oh, and when the ball, like, falls, doesn't, like, Marcia say, like, oh, my nose? Yeah, yeah, when it gets thrown. <laughs> immediately recognizing that ball's being thrown a bad for her. Um, so the, so the, 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 he spends a long time trying to find the horse, because it's actually at the cleaners, because uh, uh, the, Carol's going to give it to the, the ladies' auction. Uh, one of her one of her clubs um so this obviously threatens a lot of things in the brady dynamic that is regular is generally strong in the show and in the last movie right here's this person who carol he, she's now a bigamist on accident <laughs> to two people um i love the way um even his own daughters are like don't are like uh don't they have no memory of him obviously which we already mentioned but also like everyone is just like a new dad to look up to. <laughs> another uh, daddy another my one of my favorite lines and ones uh, and a line that i've never worked into normal conversation but i'm gonna start is this line the i hate to rain on your parade but daddy's already here <laughs> just a perfect gary cole delivery of i hate to rain on your parade daddy's i love the extremely gentle ways in which he reinforces the fact that he's you know the the, the big man the, the mac yeah. daddy 
Yeah. yeah. Or big man on campus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they um, like to say. Yeah, but like so Peter, like, you know, he he was all excited to take Peter to his job to learn about architecture, but it ruins it with the nunchucks. Um that um, <laughs> Sorry, that I forgot the joke. Him. I forgot the, the joke. joke is so good that Dad, it's not a toy, it's a weapon. Well, weapons are not toys. <laughs> I, I love I love when he goes to to Matheson to to slap him on the the wrist and he goes to Roy to slap him on the wrist about uh, giving his kid nunchucks and he's like he's like well uh, maybe you do things differently where you're from but uh, under my roof uh, we don't give children deadly weapons <laughs> <laughs> the extreme yeah. gentility at which he tells. Uh, a man off for giving his child a weapon is so fucking funny. It's also good, right? It's that idea of like, I don't want to rock the boat, but it seems like Roy spent time in jail and I think he's lying there. Like, it is it is the most just generally genteel. It really like, you can see why he was chosen as Lumberg, right? Because Lumberg is such a, a great example of someone who like, he he's just going through this motion uh, in this office environment, and so like he can't he can't just start yelling at again another Peter uh, for not showing up at work. That's not who you can be as a boss. So instead, he just like tries to like he's frustrated, he's annoyed, but he just kind of is like yeah. So and even though it's a very different character, that same kind of like simmering under the surface hate for someone while still being needing to be Mike Brady. Uh-huh. It's so good. It's yeah. So good. I never put that together, but you're totally right with those yeah. two characters. Cuz Lump that yeah, that's the deal with Lundberg is that like he is in an environment where um, it would be emotions are not tolerated. He, it would be inappropriate for him to have these yelling fits, but he's still being like. I guess the the flip side is Lumberg is being cynical and cruel and being like an object of capitalism uh, when he's yeah. being an asshole. Whereas Mike Brady is like just asking very basic dad shit, like please stop <laughs> fucking tattling on your siblings. I for basic shit, I don't care. Um, yeah. Please don't give my children weapons. Uh, please yeah. be respectful of my children. Like he's asking for basic, basic things, but everything comes with this like, this like, gee whiz smile and this like, well, I'll tell you, <laughs> kind of gentle. And also, attitude. like he has a he has a code, right? Like that's why I do think it relates to the office component, right? Because like he in the office, your code is not your like whatever personal code. It's like an HR <laughs> code you need to follow or whatever like that. Uh, that's why one of my favorite scenes in that movie is the part where, like, he finally has a chance. He realizes that Peter is about to do something to, to get rewarded for something and he doesn't like Peter. And it's just the, uh, yeah, like he does that great just long breathe in where he's like, uh, yeah, I I don't know about that. <laughs> like, he because he, he's, he's recognizing these people are superiors. They hold his job. But it's like, how do I express that? Please don't do this. This guy sucks. I hate him in a way that's like appropriate under the circumstances. And even though, yeah, the reason for it is dramatically different. That same like that look that he gives him when he's like talking to him very nicely about don't give my son a weapon is one of just like wanting to strangle the life out of him without without letting his own uh, without breaking his own thing of like, this is still a guest in my house that I need to treat with. He's he's letting. Yeah, he's letting his uh wife's ex-husband who 
is clearly like a weirdo stay under his roof well with his you know now his six children right and he needs yeah. to like reinforce the fact that like he's he's the actual dad he's dealing with the fact that like yeah. his wife is dealing with I a mean, bit of a crisis of loyalty all of yeah, that yeah. all of that and he's he's like dealing with all that and it's still always like well i tell you i just don't know about that Roy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. So anyway, so that's like one of the plots that drives his increasingly desperate attempts to uh, to get at the horse uh, statue while also Mike starting to realize something's wrong. Realize he might have been in jail at some point, eventually goes to Did the cops. Did you say a horse? Of course. Okay. We don't have time. <laughs> and also, Brittany doesn't have the weird inside joke about what would happen if, if Mr. Ed is in other movies. Oh my god. So, <laughs> Let's, let's just move past it. But I, agree. I can feel like the energy between you two, like with all these like little like moments. It's great. Look, I look. If any movie deserved to think of what would it be like if Mr. Ed was in it, it's this one, it's Peter. This one. But we this just don't have justified. time. Yeah, it's justified here. Yeah. It is. It's so justified. We'll have to do a, a special epi on what happens if Mr. Ed was in the very Brady sequel. It's somehow longer than our episode on both Brady Bunch movies. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but, getting back, so, the other plot that runs through it uh, is is the fact that uh, Greg and Marsha uh, end up fighting, they have to move up to the attic, uh, and they compromise, or so they, they, to make room for Roy, they one of them um, decides to move up to the attic, and also they're getting older. And then there's a fight of who should get it, and so the compromise is they split the attic, and that's when Greg starts noticing that Marcia, his sister, who again up until that moment he thought was his actual biological sister, somehow. Uh, <laughs> it's like that they're the oldest kids, oh and also look like they're pushing twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when he decides that oh yeah, my my sister's a sexual being. I also like see it as maybe it is a, a flowers uh, flowers of the attic thing, and that like he might not have been exposed to the uh, the concept of like someone undressing before because that wasn't (laughs) I never thought of that like there is a little bit of like wait what like uh you know my idea of of girls was that we'd hold hands and go steady and here's this person changing shirts this is awakening something he had a sexual awakening in the attic with his sister that's that's all so yeah (laughs) uh it's really a dog flowers in the attic situation some judgment Uh, so that's a lot of judgment (laughs) Quite a lot of judgment now that I think about Nothing it. but judgment. Um, I would like to get an actual judge to convict this. How <laughs> <laughs> so much judgment it is, and I don't even like most of the justice system involved with doing judgment. Anyways, we don't have time for that either. Uh, so uh, so uh, th- that kind of is a through line because they try to like figure out how to not have these feelings, how to make each other jealous by dating their arch enemies. And, you know, the thing that keeps coming up, to Brittany's earlier point, is that they kind of, like, the only person that's perfect for a Brady is a Brady. (laughs) Uh, Because uh, there's no one else like them in the world. Anyway, so all these plots converge with Roy finally getting caught, but also getting the the horse and taking Carol to Hawaii to sell it. 
Um, and the rest of the Bradys follow in a, a, a few very funny things that even though they're racing to Hawaii to save their kidnapped mom, they're like, Alice, pack our floral shirts. <laughs> like, they still have to be like, it's a special television episode, so they still need to dress the part and get a new wardrobe for it. Um, so they go and look for her in Hawaii. A lot of funny jokes there. Obviously, in the um, in the original series, Peter, you already mentioned that they that one of their big cliffhanger two-parters, that uh, kind of the biggest episode they ever did, was a trip to Hawaii at the end of the third season, where they found a cursed statue, which reappears here, that gives The tiki luck. statue. and the, Yep. Yeah. Ugh, I love that Brady Bunch uh, special up. So much. Um, and uh, so they essentially they all meet up at the place where she's supposed to sell it. And they find out the whole story that this guy who they were going to sell it to had a son whose name was Gilligan. And the boat that they were all on was the Minnow. And uh, Roy's first name or title was Professor. And that, uh, yeah, so uh, and, and once uh, Carol tells this guy the story of what happened he's like i'm never gonna sell it to you and then mike finally gets to fucking punch the shit out of tim matheson which is a very satisfying scene uh and he ends up likely going to jail but they keep the horse because they don't need money they like their horse even though you know carol was gonna get rid of the horse earlier in the movie but of course uh of course they're gonna keep it um and that's the end of the movie and it also has some great musical sequences and again it, it just works better by like even though all the kids have their plots like bobby and C- like cindy's looking for kitty carry all and bobby decides he's a junior detective those all like flip and, f- and fly and circle around the main plot as opposed to really being like separate entities that don't converge because you're seeing you're the first movie really is like, hey, all of their their plots, because we're an we're a ensemble TV show, so we have episodes that are Bobby episodes and Cindy episodes. Well, in this movie, we can't have a Bobby movie, so we need to have Bobby has his own plots. And this one, I think, um, really why I really came, I came to the realization that this is just a better movie is that it still does all that. It still gives people moments, but it really works it in so that it all is part of this main drive and doesn't feel as segmented. And then to your guys' earlier point, like, it is incorporating lesser-known ideas from the Brady Bunch show, like the George Glass imaginary boyfriend stuff, but it's doing it in a less, like, hey, remember pork chops and applesauce, remember that his voice changed. It is making it weirder in the way that it bumps all around with everything else. It feels like another episode of the Brady Bunch, in a way. Like, it's not so focused on being, like, Oh, here's something weird from the 90s that's current, and here's, like, yeah. what they don't know about it. Like, it doesn't focus on that as much. It's just kind of you're following this kooky family. Yeah, in a weird way, then, it, it almost is does serve as a sequel to the original series, because, again, the two main plots are things that were, you know, what-if speculation that did occur, right? Like, where where did their spouses go? And, hey, Greg and Marshall look like they want to fuck each other. Let's... yeah. Like, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. And, and like, they, they start incorporating a different class of, like, edgy joke in the sequel, which I think, you know, jumping back to what we were talking about, um, with, uh, you know, there's not cameos, because this doesn't feel like it's, it, 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 it doesn't feel like it's saying fuck you to fans, but it does yeah. feel like it's saying, like, okay, if you guys liked the subversion of the previous movie, like, 
we're going to take it up a notch and see if you're still on on our team. And uh, they changed directors for this one, um, yep. which is just kind of, I don't know, it's it's kind of funny to me um, that like the last one was a hit. Um, but they still had to change directors. The director's name, uh, Arlene Sanford, largely uh, a TV director, um, which I think we've talked about in countless episodes about how like while directing for TV is very respectable, it's a good way to make a living. Sometimes that ends up being um, the home for um, women directors who uh, have, you know, like maybe their last movie didn't hit that well or like, you know, the they, they sort of get seen as like the, the, the scapegoat for a movie's uh, failure and then they can't ever direct another movie again. Um, and it's just kind of sad because like, yeah, I don't want to project on people. I don't want to read into their intentions. Some of them probably love directing TV in L.A. because you move to L.A. and it's like, shit, I don't have to travel anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, like uh, Arlene's uh, uh, Arlene Sanford immediately went back to like directing for TV. She did um, I'll Be Home for Christmas is like a theatrical film, but like. Largely, it's just like directing on Gilmore Girls and and Ally McBeal and stuff. And and like I said, that's a respectable way to do it. But like this movie feels like they were cashing in some chips. Um, Yeah. And a lot of the jokes feel like they were cashing in some chips. Like the fact that there's a animated sequence that's like all just basically a mushrooms joke. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And it's 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 a it's both a very funny joke and also like. It's it's almost it's almost respectful that like only Alice and uh, and Tim Matheson take shrooms like none of the kids or the parents get high. They get to like sort of maintain their they get to maintain their sort of like wholesome status. Mm-hmm. Like so they're, yeah. they're still innocent. They're, yeah, exactly. Even in moments where they're breaking formula in a way the original series would have never fucking dreamed of. They're still kind of like being like respectful i'm not saying kid gloves but they're at least like you know patting the original series on the back and being like this is funnier um if this joke backfires on tim matheson similar to in the last movie michael mckean constantly getting his his cruelty backfiring on himself him getting electrocuted in one sequence yeah i but i i to your point Peter, i do think like i don't know if edgier is the right word i don't know if meaner is the right word but it really is like it it just it, it has a little bit more of just a cut to it in a way that it is like just so fucking hilarious. Like the sequence that like it really I like I'm laughing just thinking about it. Um it's such a great visual gag and I think kind of sums up the movie's tone in that slight pivot from the first one. They're doing their they you know, in the first one they go to Sears, they dance all through the aisles. This time they go to the mall and they dance all through and they're they're doing that thing, like where they are like uh you know all the cameras zooming in everyone's throwing up their arms and they have these choreographed dance and you know the new addition to the brady family is at the end of that line and he's he's at the end of it just staring at the camera and smoking a cigarette (laughs) and i don't know why that is just so like 
you know, in in the in the previous dance sequences, like, and actually both dance sequences have those moments too, because like in the previous ones, like they do the dance sequences and like they have that goofy TV thing which ends up hurting Michael McKean. <laughs> it's it's a, such an obvious punchline through there. Like they're still having fun. Like no one is actually shitting on him for doing it, right? Um, in the moment, everyone is like somewhat receptive. And this one has the cigarette thing, but then it also has the thing where everyone on the plane is like, "Will the singing people in the aisles please sit down?" And everyone just going, "Finally, please sit like, down, and shut up." Yeah, that's really my claps. that's my favorite scene. And there's this two seconds where there's a woman who just looks so pissed, and she's like, "It's about time." Yeah. I love it. And I love that even when they're told to sit down, again, they don't break. They're like, okay, we're going to fade out. Yes. And go, they're committed. And but again, the movie itself is, um, I think, more directly. Uh, so this, is, this, this may feel like splitting hairs. But in the Brady Bunch movie, what ends up happening more is that people do stuff. And then the joke is in the reaction afterwards, right? So, like, you're going to get to go do your big musical number and we're going to treat it like it's the best thing in the world. And then the, the joke beat is that afterwards people aren't that enthused. And in this one, they're more ready to cut it in the middle where it's it's we're actually going to be mocking the thing as it's occurring or making jokes about the thing or showing people's reactions more while it's occurring. And I I... I do think that's why it feels like it has more of an edge because you don't get the you don't get the sequence and then get the reaction like to it from the quote unquote 90s or whoever the thing is instead you get people in the middle of it going this sucks yeah that's a good point because like i kept thinking about that like i'm like why does the funny stuff in the sequel go way harder than like the first one um and a lot of and and that that makes a lot of sense like what you've been saying and I feel like a lot of things from the sequel have, like, stayed relevant throughout the years. Like, till this day, like, people do, like, the George Glass reference. Um, You know, tons of people will be like, that's funny. I didn't know there's a George Glass at our skeel. And then, like, the, you know, sure, Jan. Like, all of these, like, people still reference that till this day, like, and everyone knows what you're talking about. Like, if if someone's being an idiot and, like, over-exaggerating, that's, like, your sure, Jan moment, you know? Yeah. And, and, like, uh, those references are all born out of people who loved the original series watching it a bunch and being, like... It is kind of weird that Marsha pronounces school this way. It's kind of <laughs> weird that, like, there are whole episodes devoted to how much everyone hates Jan. Um, <laughs> all of that is pulling, like, to come back to my original point, like, all of that is pulling from the original series. This is yeah. not a yeah. disaster movie, scary movie style. Let's just, let's set up a joke. Let's let's use this just as a setup to, you know, subvert it. Like, they they do do that. It sometimes, but it always is like weirdly respectful in a way, and like in a way that you're like, well, can you deny that there's not incest vibes in the original show? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> say on record, there's no incest vibes in the original show. Just say it, sir. Can I get you on the record? <laughs> Some of the performances. Hey. That's what they were worried about in the Footloose town, so you can't be that far. Right, it's the, it must be the dancing. 
It is the dance. Oh my god. <laughs> I have only one complaint in the whole movie, and that's after the mushroom sequence, and they reveal that Alice also took mushrooms, and uh, she it, she's like, "All right, I'm going to bed," and she goes to bed inside the fridge. It is a expert comedy like shot, like it's so fucking funny, and it like <laughs> is subverting your expectations of the original show, and you know in the original show it's a fake fridge that's probably like. Three inches deep, just just deep enough to put in some inlay lights, right? Um, the, I was watching this and I was like, "Oh, the joke is that that Alice lives in the fridge." And then it took me a few more seconds. It's like, "Oh no, it's just that she's so high; she thinks the fridges are high." Yes, and it's yes. so much funnier to me to think that Alice lives in the kitchen because in the original show they don't really show. Like, where her room is? They don't show where her room is. And I remember thinking, like, where the fuck does Alice live in this house? There's so many people. Like, I need you to lay out architecture. Like, I am so glad that you thought that, too, because, like, I mean, I watched this movie, like, when I was, like, younger. And I didn't know what the hell mushrooms even were. Yeah. Or understand what was going on. And I just yeah. thought, like, it was just funny because she was living in the fridge. <laughs> Oh, yeah, which is like, yeah, like the idea that Alice actually lives in the fridge is all is, is like a class of comedy that I fucking love. It actually, not to go back to Arrested Development, but the idea that Buster thinks that the vacuum oh, is yeah. the maid's favorite toy is like... <laughs> Very similar. It's stuck with me for years. It's still like the funniest fucking thing I've ever, ever heard. And the idea that Alice lives in the fridge because she makes the meals is so fucking funny to me. Yeah, where are the meals coming from? <laughs> Sam. She brings them from her house. The fridge. I do like the, I forget which movie it is where they reveal like, did you know they're not even paying her? <laughs> oh, that's the first one whenever they're gossiping about them and yeah. trying to get them to sell their house. <laughs> she works for free and there's no toilet. And there isn't a toilet. Like I was like looking into that and they didn't even have a toilet in their original Brady house because it was like unpleasant to have toilet in like a scene in a TV show, so yeah, there really yeah, I was the joke that there's a bathroom but not a toilet. <laughs> like they've been into the bathroom, but it's just a room with a sink and a mirror. My God, Psycho, Psycho only came out uh, I think three years earlier than when the Brady Bunch show started, and um, uh, I think one year. Yeah, oh, and, and one of Psycho's big, uh, like one of uh, not big, like one of Psycho's controversies. I imagine this is right in the middle. It was that they showed a flushing toilet because. Uh, traditionally, you didn't show uh, a toilet in movies, and if you did, you no. definitely did not show the, the the any indication that people actually use it. Man, what a horrible time to be alive! I love toilet stuff. Oh man, toilets are huge. Uh, so great! I'm such a garbage person. Person, like, show me your toilet. Show me flushing your toilet. Like oh, all yeah. of it. Can you I want all of it. Can you imagine if um the characters from the Brady Bunch movie, who once again exist in the 90s but they exist in a parallel dimension sitcom universe where all they know is what was on television saw train spotting do you think that would <laughs> <laughs> wait so you just have like so you just got a a spooky hole that you crawl down to into a different dimension yeah, do you think going from no toilet to train spotting toilet would, would like kill at least one of them is that too big of a whiplash? oh they would they would all go straight to diapers at that point 
Out of pure, well, pure they, fear. That must be what they're doing now if they don't have a toy. I feel like Jan, Jan would die first. Jan, exactly. You're so right. Jan, Jan would die trying to dive into a toilet because she wants to go to the train spotting underwater mermaid <laughs> world. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, the only other like major thing I have to call out, because I recognize we've already been talking for a very long time and it's getting late, is that uh, uh, Very Brady Sequel does have one of my favorite 90s songs period in it and that automatically makes it a little bit better i think i know what it is is it the haircut song of course oh it has it has pavement in a brady bunch movie it's fucking pavement (laughs) i love that pretty hip that scene where she keeps looking at the bald girl and she's like where's that bald girl (laughs) when she screamed for like sergio um and then she comes out of that all of that is pure is is i realized when that scene was over that plot does not that does not advance the plot in any way. It no. is purely a montage as a joke because her hair comes yeah. out the exact same way. Exact same. Like, yeah, that is that is, I think, the sign of a good comedy movie is when you're willing to say fuck you to everything, including why scenes exist. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Like, it, it does have such a a strong idea of what would be funny to do both based on the idea of like because at this point too like you know this is actually a perfect ending to the month because this is the last uh a very brady sequel is the last one of these like chronologically right you know adam's family is early 90s hillbillies is 93 uh flintstones is 94 and then brady bunch is 95 and, and 96 um and uh you know it's after this movie specifically that it kind of gets into the era where everyone agrees that this is a trend that needs to die for a while right like you have the leave it to beaver movie which like makes like a million dollars you have stuff like the mod squad which everyone hates you have stuff like the avengers ralph finds in the thurman that's a punchline to this day where they're like they just completely run out of gas for a little bit and then not just like creatively but the movies just are are terrible and make no money and so um this really kind of is the the, i think the last gas of this trend working well and uh it is amazing how much the director kind of understands like what's what's funny about doing a brady bunch movie in 1996 that both understands the brady's and the television show but also understands the tropes of uh, how you do these big how how a TV series has to go bigger to become a movie and so like that's such a great moment because to exactly your point Peter right like what what is an iconic thing of the Brady Bunch that normally a movie would need to upend like hey we're we never did this on the TV show because we weren't allowed to do it on the TV show my alienate viewers let's change Carol Brady's hair. She had the same hairstyle forever. It's iconic. Everyone, when they see it, recognize it. So they go through all the motions of that only for her to, like you said, come out with the same hairstyle. And, like, the the the, the writer, director, whoever, like, understood why that was funny both in the moment, both in reference to how uh, the TV series itself and also the type of instincts so many of the worst versions of these movies have to go bigger, which is, like – why we 
hated the Flintstones movie, right? Like the first 30 minutes is a perfectly acceptable live action version of a Flintstones episode. And then it's like, we need an evil guy. We need Barney and friend to become enemies. We need like, Oh, I hated uh, that part. Secretary. Everyone Uh wants to fuck like Uh Beverly Hillbillies did the same thing. Other things that we didn't talk about, like Dennis the Menace is obviously, uh, uh, Peter, I know you have affection for that movie, but that's like, there's a giant plant. It's the big plant thing. And, and, you know, and also there's these robbers coming in that idea of like, you have to go so much bigger and, and then it ends up going like no one watched Dennis the Menace or fucking you know Flintstones for these like elaborate villain type plots and like the villain plot here is such of the small domestic variety that actually like isn't out of nowhere like the idea that like Mr. Wilson from Dennis the Menace was a big plant aficionado is not like some undeveloped thing that they finally got a chance to do in the movie right like the fact that where the fuck is this person's husband is and they're able to do it bigger in a level that still matches the movie and then all these other things that are making fun of the show also understand all of the worst instincts in these movies is to like let's give her a new hairstyle and the joke is that you can't change your hair that's not who carol brady is we understand that as this movie obviously a wig too (laughs) like yeah no human being could maintain that shit. I was the last thing I was to say on that is that just like you're a fucking idiot if you think, hey, you know what would be good in the Flintstones movie about mostly these two best friends and families? What if they stop being friends for most of the movie? Like, why would anyone want that? And this movie understands you don't want that. It almost makes them seem like they're like from another like planet, and they have like another type of like genetic makeup, like. If you yeah. would try to put, like, modern clothes on, like, Mike Brady, they would just turn into, like, a leisure suit. Oh, yeah. They you would- know, like, <laughs> it just can't happen. Yeah, you're right. Like, it, <laughs> no matter what happens, they default back to their setting. Mm, a sci-fi yeah. twist. It is very yeah. much like, it is very much like a fucking, like a, a like a weird Groundhog Day scenario in these shows, and it's like also like something The Simpsons would riff on from time to time. It's like, how have they been in? How has this kid been in fourth grade for <laughs> years and years and years? How how has Homer been at this job for thirty years and he keeps fucking up? Like, uh, it's a sitcom thing where they kind of have to reset the status quo every episode. Um, they can only have short little arcs and it's definitely true of something like the Brady Bunch where like you you watch most of what you we all watch the, the, we've only watched it in syndication sorry the show came the show ended before any of us were born this the show was only watched in syndication and needed to be sold in syndication yeah uh, yeah, but that's true. I mean, even, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, like, the idea of a studio protecting their franchise. Like, the idea that television shows would regularly disrupt the status quo as part of just kind of being narr- uh, narrative television or – that's that's relatively new too, right? <laughs> like, even shows that I love that were hip and cool in the 90s, like X-Files, one of the common jokes about that show is that, like, okay, it's the seventh season. Like, you know these are aliens, <laughs> Scully. Like – like, but the the show just never had the, you know, television as a whole was a very, like, timid medium that, like, you know, and, and some, and, and partially because they had so many disasters that fucked it, right? Like, Moonlighting, the dynamic is, is a famous example of, like, that scared people away from even, even when the show would have been better and it made sense and it actually, like, 
was ruining the show by trying to forcibly stick to a status quo that just wasn't working anymore. Like, Moonlighting is a great example of, well, we got those two together and literally everyone stopped watching the show because we didn't, we couldn't find a way to interestingly pivot and keep people's attention. And I don't know if y'all noticed it or if it's just me and I might have imagined it because I do that a lot. Um, Whenever, like, you're in the Brady house, it's like they're using, like, a totally different camera. Oh, they definitely are. Are yeah, they? I, I, okay. One of my notes that we didn't – one of the notes that I didn't get to is that, like, uh, it literally posits almost a bubble universe of, like, lighting and the way that they shoot everything because, like, there's these great moments where, like, uh, Cindy's in the backyard and the ball goes through, you know, to the other yard and the lighting's different. The way it's framed is different. Even, like, the sidewalk has cracks in a way that their sidewalk and driveway doesn't. Like, it's a really great uh, – great idea they have where like because i couldn't like think if i was like doing that mentally nope. and putting myself like oh like in that brady bunch world or if it was like really visually literally different. a difference okay <laughs> different aesthetic universe. great yeah. great i feel better about my um my thoughts in my mind <laughs> <laughs> it is like a weirdly technical movie yeah the technical prowess of the movies is actually them showing that they were studied um, scholars of the original show and they actually do love the original show, but they want to take it somewhere else. And so like that's that's what's so fascinating about this is that it's not a it's not a fuck you to the original show the way some of these movies feel like it's it's a it very much feels like it's like a, a love letter at first and then later it's like, OK, but <laughs> maybe we were too gentle the first time in our love letter. Let's be, have a more honest love letter this time. And that's why, uh, that's why I love these movies because like it, it, it actually goes what I think to the logical limits of what the concept can do. And it doesn't feel like a cheap shitty cash in. It feels like they actually built up a lot of chips with the first movie by like, doing this tightrope walk and now they're doing crazy gymnastics and sometimes they fucking flub one of the flips but, but then they get back up on the board and do something you've never seen before like it's 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 very impressive yeah and if you haven't seen these and are on the fence like not only are they great funny movies uh they also knock out two of your hashtag 52 that you might be doing this year because both are directed by women so I love that we were able to end on such a positive thing. Like Beverly Hillbillies last week, especially was just that movie. Is I forgot that they yeah. made a movie about that. It is like a horrible show. <laughs> yeah, it is so. It is so bad. And they kind of we actually referenced it last week. They kind of are doing like, what if the Beverly Hillbillies meet the nineties? And then they they kind of forget that that's what they're going for, and are like. <laughs> Jethro doesn't know what bowling is. God. What if he throws himself at the pants? <laughs> you know how people from the South don't know bowling, but he does now that he's rich? Um, anyways, I hate <laughs> uh, Brittany, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Yes. We're going to have to come on again. Yeah, anytime y'all do something trashy or like Lifetime movie-esque, please let me know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We'll bring in an expert. Woo! Thanks. I know the answer to this, but what do you have to promote? So there's this thing called Swamp Flicks. Um, so yeah, so Swamp Flicks um, or the Swamp Flicks podcast, um, great film podcast that I do with Brandon Lede, James Cone, and we have a couple other folks who um, 
um, participate as well. We um, also have swampflix.com, which is essentially all of our movie reviews. There's uh, lots of fun stuff to dig into on there if you're not into podcasts, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we pontificated quite a lot about the, the website and the podcast and uh, it's like we like we said, it's kind of our, our sister show from that perspective of two podcasts start at the same time. And I think that we're like similar to like we're movie podcasts, but we don't focus on one type of movie. Like we're not all like, yeah. oh, we're just doing horror movies or we're just going to talk about B movies and how bad they are or just art house yeah. films. Like we just kind of pick some stuff that we're interested in and delve into it with honesty. <laughs> Yeah, we, we've said before that, like, weirdly, just an accident of stuff, because we actually didn't even start doing three theme months. At first, we our first few months, we're like, let's just talk about movies we want to talk about. And then we realized some level of, like, show process would be good. But uh, that in some ways, Swap Flicks kind of does what we do over the course of a month in an episode where, you you know, you guys pick a theme and do a few movies around those for an episode and uh we're like you guys are like the sprint and we're the marathon of, of the idea of <laughs> tackling a theme around those yeah if i could recommend an episode to kind of get into um recently we did one that i think i had i can't even explain like how much fun that i had with it but we kind of investigated um a very very little known like hollywood urban legend <laughs> And we actually got hard evidence like marriage and death certificates and things like that because um, Cece, who is part of Swamp Flicks, um, she's like a librarian and she has a good research mind and she was able to get stuff for us. So, yeah, if you want to know if Shirley Kilpatrick from the Astounding She-Monster is the same person as Shirley Stoller... Um, famous for her role in the Honeymoon Killers and also a regular on Pee Wee's Playhouse. There's a room that they're the same person and we crack the case. Wow. And you built us a mystery too. We got it. We got to tune in to find out. Yeah. So it's a fun one. I love that. Uh, I absolutely love that. Yeah. I would recommend the one on uh, Head, the Monkey's Psychedelic Musical, which I thought was a good one. Yeah. But they're all really good. So whatever you end up listening to, I think is (laughs) Thank you. Um, uh, so, I, I, uh, we've already talked a long time, Peter. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to discuss what we're doing uh, in our third annual double, uh, double month summer. Terrible name. We didn't trademark it. <laughs> where we take a longer theme, uh, and in the past we did horror remakes, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we did Lovecraftian horror movies. This time we're, I think, both doing something a lot more complicated. But also something that we've structured in a way that I think is really interesting, where it kind of weaves and bobs and dives through a theme without being uh, with with tackling a lot of different stuff. So I, our name for this essentially is uh, uh, Del Toro and Magnola in Hollywood and out. We can come up with an actual better name by the time July comes around <laughs> for us recording this. But the the goal is that so uh, Mike Magnola. Gilmel del Toro uh, kind of partnered essentially on the Hellboy movies, which uh, the one and two, the ones from the 2000s, which Peter and I are huge fans of and have always wanted to cover on the show. And so we thought what would be and we also have been wanting to do at least Blade 2 for a while. We've been wanting to do more del Toro. And then weirdly, 
Um, I've been going through some big comic book stuff because I finally, about a year and a half ago, was able to like un- – the long story, but I, I always had trouble really getting into comic books because I didn't read them as a kid and it just – it felt like something that just was never clicking with me. And so I, I, that, I finally got over that hump and I've been really reading a ton of stuff that have all, has always interested me and I started reading Hellboy this last January. And I decided to go through the whole series of all the side series. And Peter, who uh, was due for a reread of just the Hellboys, and I never read all the side stuff that kind of connects in there, said he was going to do it with me too. So that kind of led to this kind of big idea that we had to kind of go through like, hey, what were Del Toro and Magnolia doing in Hollywood prior to uh, prior to like the Blade and Hellboy movies that they kind of have, you know, especially Del Toro kind of is the anchor on for those. Um what did they do during those? Like, what are those movies and the stuff that came out of that? What is it like? And then what happened to those specific franchises after they left? Uh, do you think that's a good way to describe it, Peter? Yeah, yeah. We're we're kind of tracing two filmographies until they come together. Um, and then we're going to uh, cap it off with uh, where their collaboration has en- ended uh, as of 2021. And then what happened to the series that they were involved in as they kind of stayed in pop culture but left their, you know, their direct stuff. So how we've decided to approach that, we have nine episodes over the course of the rest of the summer. Uh, we're going to start with Mimic and Atlantis, the, uh, the Disney movie, uh, Disney anime movie, which are two movies. Mignola worked on Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Mimic was uh, Del Toro's first, uh, first uh, foray into Hollywood movies after Kronos. Um, and so we're going to start there and just kind of talk about their two work in Hollywood prior to their franchises. Then we're going to do Blade just to set the stage. Blade uh, does not have involvement with the first one doesn't have involvement with Del Toro. But here's this uh, now this like one of the biggest comic book movies of all time uh, when it comes out that eventually starts uh, impacting them. Then we're going to go into Blade 2, which Del Toro directs. We're going to take a little pause to really go through the entire Hellboy comic book series. Not book for book but uh, peter and i have read the whole thing now and want to kind of chat about that and we're also going to get into the two animated movies that came out that serve as prequels to the del toro bignola hellboy movies then we're going to do hellboy from 2004 blade trinity so now we're seeing a blade sequel come out that del toro has left to make hellboy movies what does that look like and then hellboy 2 uh and then we're going to check in on both those franchises essentially 10 years later and cover the one season Blade anime that came out uh, in uh, about 10 years after the movie, and then the remake Hellboy 2019 uh, that came out, which still had Mignola's influence, but uh, but Del Toro was nowhere to be seen. And also, uh, it sounds like there was a fight somewhere along the line. Yeah. Well, so... So we're going to try uh, so to cover some of the some of the drama, some of the, you know, the rumors over the years of like, you know, what they wanted to work on, what they successfully worked on together. And, uh, you know, for a show that like we don't we, we've generally stuck away from superhero stuff because um, we think that's pretty yeah. well covered. I think we can carve out a niche pretty well this summer with uh, Hellboy and Blade because they're sort of yeah, they are very strange corners of superhero stuff that like appeals to me more because uh, as Brittany was was talking about I like uh, I, I, I like the sort of underdogs I like the I like the trashier stuff I like that Blade 2 doesn't feel like it's trying to like class up the genre I like that Blade 2 is like no 
comic books are wild and weird and wooly and we want i want this one to be as wild and weird as i can get it with this budget so um that's i think what drew us to like get obsessive and form a whole summer theme uh, off of it yeah so we're we're essentially doing the blade and the hellboy we could also call it blade boy or hell aid um but <laughs> hell aid is just it's you know kids in kids in the uh the infernal realm serve hell aid to make yeah only in summers to make yeah one human kidney <laughs> um but uh but yeah, so it's definitely uh, why we why we're really excited about is not only are, have we been again consuming a ton of Hellboy comics and now have started to dip into some Blade comics, uh, at least what's available for Blade comics, which doesn't seem to be <laughs> the best examples of why Blade got popular. But uh, we we like the idea of doing something a little more complicated and chronological than just here's a here's a bigger theme than what we normally do. So uh, we're super excited for the rest of the summer. Um, and we hope that you'll join us to talk about a great slate of movies and a couple of uh, uh, creators that we are very passionate about in general. So, yes, that's all I got. Yeah, per- yeah, I think that uh, I think you summed up well. Uh, thank you again, Brittany. So much. This was so much fun. Yes, yes, uh, I yeah. love this. I'm excited about y'all Hellboy stuff because yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of the amazing Screw on Head. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just read the comic book. We're we'll 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 have done the whole series by the time this episode airs. But as of this recording, I think we're we're about seventy percent of the way done with it. Yeah, Um, I met Mike Mignola at a comic convention, and there was no one at his table, um, which was so. It was so sad. Like my brother is a huge Hellboy fan, and we saw him, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" And he had like um, these little pins for free, and they had like the amazing screw on head. So I was very into it, and he was just like, "Hi, all right, cool." You know, like, and I'm like, oh, why is anyone not flocking to this? Like, it's just he. I just feel like it's underappreciated, and it's a really, really good. Um, he makes good stuff. Yeah, and, and like he's stuff. like he's like a all the spinoffs, all the side parts. Like he's either the key writer on it or he's like a side creative voice. So like yeah. to me, it's wild because all of his shits. I mean, most of the shit sells really, really well. So like. The, the dollars have backed it up, but maybe people don't know what this, like, you know, uh, middle-aged guy looks like. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Pe- people are still pissed that uh, the Atlantis sequel was so was not. That's, that is exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> we, have, we have our fingers to the pulse of America at We Love to Watch in Swamp Flicks. We know exactly what, what people are <laughs> riled up about in Ornery. Yeah, well, not to rain on anyone's parade, but uh, Daddy's here and he says it's time to go to bed. Oh my god! Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch.
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. <laughs>